Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most infamous serial killers of modern times. His name is synonymous with mutilation, necrophilia, and cannibalism. You think of the crimes that he committed, it's, they're so horrific that you kind of think only a madman or somebody totally evil, evil incarnate would do this. But when you talked with Jeff Dahmer, you just did not get this idea. He could be engaging, he could be bright, witty, he could make jokes. Uh, he was able to fool a lot of people. People that worked with him had no idea that he was a violent man. This was part of the real danger of Jeffrey Dahmer. He could join you or me at lunch and no one would detect that he was a violent person. Jeffrey Dahmer on the surface was not a abnormal appearing individual. He was fairly good looking. He was well spoken. He was articulate. Never in a million years would I have guessed a homicidal maniac. To me, he's he's always been really a tragic figure which is kind of hard for a lot of people to understand but I don't really think of him as you know the serial killer monster I just think of him as this kid who was spiraling out of control and nobody stopped him how good was Jeff at manipulating you excellent he's very good good liar he fooled everyone he fooled me yeah very good he fooled his probation officer his attorney, the the police, you know, who came. I mean, he had he had bodies in in his next room when the police were standing in in the, in his outer room. There were so many people that he that he fooled. And he could lie and be he just cool looked, as a cucumber. Yeah, he just looked very innocuous. He just looked like a, an, an average person who couldn't possibly do the, the things that he did. Dahmer began to construct fantasies of sex with dead or unconscious men. Dahmer told me that uh, on one occasion he had seen in the newspaper an account of a young man who was killed on a motorcycle and uh, he fell in love with the individual just from the photograph. Uh, he actually went to the funeral home to uh, view the, the corpse, but he became so aroused that he excused himself into the bathroom where he masturbated. If this, this whole thing is, is conjecture at this point. It might have been, along with other incidents in his lives, might have been one of the trigger points. I mean, you know, the old Freudian castration complex uh, might come to bear here, and I guess psycho uh, analysts would be would really have a heyday with this because you know uh, he was concerned about losing his penis. He asked his mother if he had lost it, if it had been cut off. Now there may be something he later did to his or at least some of his victims. That's true. Yes. Was it the killing that excited you? Or is it what happened after the killing? No, the, the killing was just a means to an end. That, that was the least uh, satisfactory part. I didn't enjoy doing that. That's why I tried to uh, create uh, living zombies with uh, muritic acid in the, in the drill. Uh, but it, it never worked. No, the killing wasn't, wasn't the objective. I just wanted to have the person under my complete control not having to, 
to consider their wishes, being able to keep them there as long as I wanted. Uh, it's not easy to say that, but that's, that's what the motive was. Where did that need for control come from? Do you have any idea? I don't know. Maybe I felt uh, I had no control as a, as a child or young adult, and uh, that got mixed in with my sexuality, and I ended up doing what I did was my way of, of feeling in, in complete control, at least for that situation, creating my own little world where I had the final say. Uh, finding the best looking guy that I could and uh, having total mastery over him for as long as I wanted. Lust played a big part of it. Controlling lust. That, uh, that was the motive. Right there. Where did sex enter in to the killings, Jeff? It was a big part of it. My, my only objective was to find the, the best looking uh, guy that I could. Their sexual preference didn't matter to me. Uh, Did their race matter to you? No, their race didn't matter to me. The first, the first two young men were white. The, set, the third young man was American Indian. The fourth and fifth were Hispanic. So no, race had nothing to do with it. It was just their looks. Was there something sexual in the dismemberment of the bodies for you? As time went on, uh, yes, I, I did get a, there was a sexual part, part to that. Uh, I started saving the, the skeletons and preserving other parts. And uh, one thing led to another. It took, it took more and more uh, deviant type behaviors to satisfy uh, my urges, and so it just uh, spiraled out of control. Why the cannibalism? It, it, it made me feel like they were uh, a permanent part of me. Besides, besides the just mere curiosity of what it would be like, it made them feel that they were a part of me, and it, it gave me a, a sexual uh, uh, satisfaction to do that. The only motive that there ever was, was to completely control a person, a person that I found physically attractive, and uh, keep them with me as long as possible, even if it meant just keeping a part of them. The Cows, Gusty Renegade, in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, so-called holiday, they tell me, Memorial Day, Monday, May 30th, 2022. So I have been told, uh, I guess if you are out uh, barbecuing, grilling, whatever it is, if you you know did not have to be at the plantation for the day, hopefully you are being safe and uh, using your time in a constructive manner. Much obliged if you are listening to us live. Uh, our broadcast for today, we may have started with Jeffrey Dahmer and oh my goodness the parallels Woo. <laughs> they are, even as I was listening the parallels my goodness uh, make sure I don't uh, miss out with our folks uh, uh, averted could have been catastrophic Unmuted. could have been catastrophic 
Cal's live folks on the phone line just missed. I was saying we may have started with Jeffrey Dahmer. Do not be mistaken. This here broadcast totally motivated by what took place in East Buffalo, New York, a little more than two weeks ago. Uh, Peyton S. Gendron, suspected race soldier, white supremacist, uh, who is accused of killing 10 black people, shooting 13 people in total a little over two weeks ago. And we've been talking about this situation. Everyone uh, has been talking about this situation and white supremacy, racism, and even saying, hey, we should look at the history of racism, white supremacy in Buffalo. And why is this the only grocery store on this side of town? And it's not even a good grocery store, as we heard them say. Uh, as we began to investigate, we have been talking about Joseph G. Christopher. In fact, before we get to our guest for today's program, the context for why we're talking about this program today, I can give it to you two ways. I give it to you right from the Buffalo News. Our guest worked for them some time ago and for many, many decades. But the report that they have today after tops shooting a renewed discussion on race should be racism, white supremacy in Buffalo. People want to talk about it. Just given a snippet at the beginning, they write, as Buffalo seeks to heal from the hate-fueled attack that left 10 black people dead May 14th at Topps Markets on Jefferson Avenue, the city continues to reckon with its legacy of racism. But leaders in the black community say the response has been heartening and they say there may be a chance to turn the tragedy into a turning point for a discussion on race in Buffalo. The news spoke with the following community leaders about what is being done to combat racism in Buffalo. They give their long list. I'm just skipping down. Uh, I think it's a very serious problem. White supremacy has been around for a long time, but people have not wanted to talk about it and have really swept it under the rug. Those metaphors. I think now we are really at the point where people want to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And then we need to take action. Next person, we are sixth. We are the sixth most segregated city in the nation. On any given day in Erie County, a white person has a 90% probability of not having a meaningful interaction with a person of color. Last person, I get out of Buffalo and I travel around the country quite a bit and I see the difference. We have a serious problem. The well-meaning people don't even perceive themselves as racist because they're used to living this way in Buffalo and it's just the way it is. And they go on, they give a little bit more information. However, there is not one mention of the first time there was a white supremacist attack at an East Buffalo Tops grocery store. That has given me pause tremendously for the past two weeks, and I'm in Seattle, Washington. I'm going from the Buffalo News report from today, literally hours ago, to our guest for today's broadcast wrote about Joseph G. Christopher, and I'm skipping all the way to the epilogue. He writes a decade after Joey's killing spree. Buffalo was still divided along racial lines. 
Henry Lewis Taylor Jr., the black director of the Center for Applied Public Affairs Studies at the University of Buffalo, told Anzalone for his September 16, 1990 look back story that the 22 caliber horrors was not just an isolated incident. Those acts were symbolic of deeper tensions that still exist in Buffalo. Taylor said, continuing, if you don't see the connections, you don't understand the source that feeds these criminal acts. Skipping one paragraph, Barbara Banks, publisher of the Challenger Buffalo's black newspaper, said in September 1990, this is not just one thing that happened a madman who shot some black folks and now it's over it reminds black people that there is a double standard it reminds them of where they are they can still be killed and not receive total justice some of these cases have never been solved referring to the two cabbies Joey's murder of two additional black men in Buffalo and Rochester, the Niagara Falls 22 caliber killing that never went to trial and the deaths of four black men in New York City. Joseph Christopher is a manifestation of what society has always done to black men on one level or another, Banks told Anzalone get rid of them destroy them she added black people unfortunately have a tendency to forget wrongs done to them miss banks told anzalone adding they have suffered from this historical amnesia it's a survival technique joseph christopher is still with us on so many different levels I don't know if he'll ever go away, she added. That is a metaphor, but wow. Ending, skipping a few paragraphs. In the end, the 22 caliber killer may have may leave more questions about the society he inhabited than of his personal motivations. In Frank E. Dobson Jr.'s historical fiction volume, Rendered Invisible, Stories of Blacks and Whites, Love and Death, Dobson portrayed a fictionalized account of Joey's killing spree. Dobson depicted the murders as having been carried out by a pathological white racist turned serial killer who intended for his crazed reign of terror to spark a race war. One of the characters in Dobson's book put it bluntly, Here, we talking about 13 dead black men and nobody knows it happened. How the hell that happened, man? 13 black men that we know of, men of colored murdered, and this killer is not famous? They made no TV movie about this here? The dudes that he killed, it's like their lives meant nothing that is the end of the book that's where we are starting at today our guest for the program four decades of journalism in West New York for the Buffalo News 
think that would have to, unless I'm really off my rocker, that would have to encompass uh, the career of the great Rental James, uh, O.J. Simpson. Uh, but we'll have to see. Uh, you've written for them for a number of years. And in fact, I was so ignorant. <clears throat> I didn't find out until later that in addition to a number of true crime books uh, in his years of journalism, he wrote the book that we are going to discuss today, Joey 22, that I just read from. He also wrote The Four Girls, which I was staggered by because that gets referenced indirectly uh, in the case that we're talking about today. Uh, we are pleased to have him on the program to discuss these matters and how all of this relates to Peyton S. Gen Gendron's terrorist attack two weeks ago thrilled to have him on the program joining us live mr matt greider mr greider are you with us sir yes i am thank you so much for joining us sparing a little bit of your i guess holiday monday evening uh for that's all right for sure for any of our listening audience i'm sure this is their first time hearing for uh hearing about you for some folks uh any information kind of a brief bio that you would like to share with us before we get started yeah, uh, I didn't really get involved in journalism at all until I went, I became a college freshman. Uh, you know, my, uh, faculty advisor said, you know, take it easy as you're starting college, you know, don't do anything. So I immediately joined, uh, the uh, school newspaper and the uh, school dramatic, dramatic club. And, uh, uh, my career went on from there. And I, I only ended up working for the Buffalo News for only 48 years uh, before I finally took a, a good uh, retirement and left. So that's about it. And that was after uh, becoming a, a U.S. Army combat correspondent in Vietnam for my full year there. Wow. We'll round that up. So a half century of oh, yeah. journalism at Buffalo News. Wow quite oh, impressive yeah. uh, and you were yeah. there during Orenthal James Simpson's tenure as a Buffalo Bill yes oh hell yes oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right on, right on uh, for folks who have not seen your photographs or what have you you are a white man is that correct you got it right on uh, if you don't want to tell us that's totally fine uh, may I ask your age sir yeah, 75 75 wow okay yep uh, for our listeners or all of the guests that we have on the program, I've concluded, unfortunately, that the reason that we have this problem, Peyton Gendron, Joseph S. Christopher, Joey, uh, is the global system of racism, white supremacy. I use those two terms, racism and white supremacy, as synonyms, and I use the same definition for both terms. That definition, a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Uh, with Joey, you're giving him more credit than he really deserves. You know, I think, uh, uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, tried to prove he had, he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, but I, uh, in the end, I really don't think he was because he was able to describe everything quite carefully to 
mental health examiners who actually uh, uh, have examinations with them. And in the end, uh, in his last Buffalo trial, um, actually his last trial, uh, Dr. Russell Barton uh, a noted uh, forensic psychiatrist said uh, he had two days of talks with uh, Joey in the uh, cellar of the Erie County Correctional Facility across the street from where he was on trial in the end. Uh, and he said uh, uh, he found him having uh, nothing more than it's bad enough, but he found him having suffering from a personality disorder, not not that he was mentally ill. But every uh, attorney who represented him tried to prove uh, he was mentally in, insane and therefore, you know, not guilty. You know, ridiculous. He knew what he was doing. Hang on and a he second there. he was able there, to describe uh, everything. For hang Martin. on one Yeah, go ahead. Gotcha. And I normally would be saying Mr. Greider as I would for any of our guests. He requested that I do first name. We'll do Matt. Um, my question Matt, specifically, yes. and we'll get to all the details about the insanity and all the rest of it and your thoughts on what motivated uh, Joey, as you yeah. call him. Uh, my question specifically, racism, white supremacy, the definition that I gave it. I just want to ask again, if you, and you don't agree, if you don't think that that definition is accurate if you don't think such such a system exists that's fine but i just want to give my definition again and then get your response to that Uh, so the definition is a global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Uh, I'm sure it exists. Uh, I don't know how widespread it is. You know, I mean, uh, you know, Joey, uh, uh, I know why Joey uh, started shooting black men, you know, and we can go into that. You know, for sure. But I, I don't think he was a white supremacist. I think he was. Uh, I don't think he was uh, of uh, upper level intelligence. You know, hmm. described as dopey uh, by a number of folks. But we'll get to. Oh hell yeah! We'll get to all yeah, those. And he, he was kind of physically disabled too. He had a weird uh, walk Gate. to him. You know. Yeah, that's a number of folks described that as well. Um, oh yeah. Let's see, before we get into the meat of Joey 22, which is uh, fascinating, and even before we you know, get too far sure. so you can explain to folks why you gave it that title, have, have in the past two weeks or so, have you seen, like in mainstream reporting or local reporting in New York, have you seen anywhere wherein they have talked about Peyton Gendron's heinous terrorist white supremacist act have they connected it to uh joseph christopher or has that been totally left out not really they they joey's uh, past history now as far as i can tell wow that's the same thing that i've said uh and particularly what they had in the buffalo news today about wanting to talk about the legacy of racism in buffalo and i've seen a number of reports like wow 
given everything around this case, uh, and I mean, we'll go into details in your book. Do you think this should be included when we talk about Peyton Gendron and saying, hey, we had a white supremacist attack that started at an East Buffalo Tops before? Uh, sort of. Joey's in that in that venue. You know, he, there's no way around it. I mean, he was he was targeting black men, not not white men, not white women, not black women. You know, other minorities. He he was going after black men, and uh, I have a feeling why he started it. And I don't think he was. I agree with Dr. Michael Bodden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the famed uh, forensic uh, examiner uh, who uh, helped get uh, O.J. off, you know, acquitted in his trials in Los Angeles, and uh, who and Baden examined the uh, two cabbies who Joey belatedly admitted he had killed and cut their hearts out deliberately, and then smashed them to pieces and threw them away. Mm. Um, but he, Baden, and I tend to agree with him, felt Joey had sort of a homosexual affection for whites. But I think uh, I agree with uh, Leo Donovan, the famed uh, homicide chief of the Buffalo Police Department, who was uh, one of the major investigators in Joey's case, along with hundreds of other cases through his career. You know, uh, well, before we get Joey's, before we yeah, get to ahead. some of the details, do you think yeah. that Peyton Gendron was aware of Joseph Christopher because they've had so many reports about how he had studied Dylan Roof and the attacker in New Zealand and these other white supremacists who've attacked no, black people? I think, I think I think Joey was. I don't think he even knew Joey Christopher hmm. or, or what he did. You know. He was in New York. You don't think he he could have found any of this information? You don't think he could have even read your book? I don't. I doubt it. Hmm. Okay. Have you been? Uh, if he bes- did, I hope he paid for it. <laughs> right on. Right on. Yeah. Get those royalties. Yeah. Do you have you been you besieged like over the past two weeks or so with people saying, "My goodness, this sort of thing has happened before"? And come and let's get some historical context. Have you had a, a spike in book sales? No, not really. That, did you think, you know, people might stumble upon all of this when, when this happened? or um, I just wrote it because it was history, because I, I was so involved in the in the case from uh, when, uh, you know, after he was brought back from uh, Fort Benning, where he was he was in the uh, stockade for a while for after stabbing a, a black recruit uh, in his barracks while they were both... Uh, Taking, doing, getting basic training, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I guess before we get in, you got, we'll get into all the details or as much as we can. Just for our listeners, yeah, sure. you uh, were sure. very belib- deliberate with the title of the book, Joey Twenty Two, and then oh, throughout yeah. the book calling him Joey. Why did can I call you tell him us why? Joey? Yeah, well, Twenty Two Caliber, because he was first described as the Twenty Two Caliber killer. Why? Uh, because he grew up with a father who was a, uh, uh, an outdoorsman and loved to hunt and fish and everything. And they had a lodge uh, south of the Buffalo. And his father, uh, who died four years before 
he started the uh, 22 caliber killing spree uh, and left him a, a bunch of uh, uh, weapons and firearms and, and hunting, very sharp hunting knives. Um, but he died, uh, and the death of his father uh, really uh, upset him, you know, because he used to go with his father to the uh, Bissonette uh, uh, gun club, which his father belonged to, um, and they used to go, and his father used to go for target practice at a shooting range at Canisius College. Now, why is Canisius so interesting? Because Joey uh, had a girlfriend who finally got him a, a maintenance job at Canisius College, um, and uh, while he was there, uh, Joey got his uh, New York State firearms instructor uh, badge, uh, which he had, to, and he spent 120 hours of class to do that. And he also got his New York State pistol permit. But when he, uh, you know, his father died, he initially had to, uh, the family had to turn over all his father's weapons to, you know, because nobody else was licensed in the, in the, in the family to uh, handle them. So Joey managed to sell them to a lady who held on to him until he got his New York State pistol permit, and then he took them back. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, you know, although he was identified publicly, they were looking for somebody they described as the caliber killer of black men. Um, Joey immediately uh, destroyed that rifle. And he, so they never found that rifle. Let's um, let's go back. And why did I call it Joey Twenty Two? Yes, because sir. Because of the Twenty Two Caliber killing case, and because Joseph Christopher hated to be called Joey, and I thought that was interesting. <laughs> so that that was further evidence of his uh, personality disorder. Hmm. Yeah. So go ahead. Yes, Back sir. Away. Yes, sir. Mr. Uh, Matt Greider, a half century of journalism at the Buffalo News. Yeah. Uh, you also, at the very beginning of the text, uh, you write to all the victims of Joseph G. Christopher, known and unknown. May they rest in yes, peace. Exactly. And to four yeah. horsemen of justice, Edward C. Cosgrove, Leo J. Donovan, yeah. Albert M. Yeah. Ronnie, Rainey, Raymond Rainey. Rainey, thank you. And Raymond P. Yeah. Sam Slade. Uh, why did you title them the Four Horsemen of Justice? Because they were all directly involved in the prosecution and conviction of Joey. Because they couldn't find any, you know, the first, you know, when they started looking, you know, the first uh, black that uh, black man that Joey killed in a top parking lot, by the way, on the east side of Buffalo, was uh, with the sawed-off caliber rifle he kept uh, after he turned in all his late father's other hunting rifles. And why did he saw off the barrel? Uh, because uh, that way he could hide it as he was walking through the area. 
looking for victims and anything else, you know. And it turns out uh, the first uh, black man he killed in in a 35-hour period in 1980 turned out to be a 14-year-old car thief who was shot to death as he sat in the top's parking lot on the east side in the car he and a buddy had just stolen hours earlier. And then Joey sort of tumbled away, but a lady who was outside the uh, outside that supermarket uh, actually saw him and was actually one of the top prosecution witnesses against him when he eventually went to trial in Buffalo. I just want to insert there just uh, number one, uh, Glenn Dunn, uh, the first victim uh, yeah. that we know of, uh, 14 of years Joey, old. 14, 14 yeah. is not a man. Uh, and that's the type of thing that I point out pretty consistently that happens frequently with black yeah. children uh, where they are not thought of yeah. as children. 14 is not a man. Yeah. That is a child, uh, yeah. 14 years old. But he was sitting uh, and, in the driver's seat, so Joey just shot him. Yes, sir. But 14 is not a man. That's the main point. Okay. Uh, secondly, um, with the rifle, you talked about learning firearms and hunting with his father and the bisonet club uh you talked yeah. or guess in the book you talked about some of the problems that began not only with the death of his father and then having to give away his firearms but at the bisonet club not only did they start saying hey this this joey guy's got a bit of a temper but he runs for president big temper yeah he ran for president and lost to a black man who was also in the Bisonet Gun Club. And it turns out that black man was one of his jailers after he was taken into custody uh, in Buffalo uh, a year or so after the killing stopped here. So it was wild. Fascinating. Can you comment, since you're a journalist, you're covering all, covering all of this live time. Can you just talk about the yeah. climate? So this begins in September 1980. Uh, and I was the reason that I knew any details at all about this was because I'm very familiar with the case called the so-called Atlanta child murders, uh, which had been oh, happening yeah. for at least a year. Just can you kind of talk about jo- uh, Joseph Paul Franklin is operating at the same time like what what are some of the major things that are happening with regards to racism, white supremacy, when these killings begin in September of 1980? Uh, that was a very dangerous time for black African-American men, you know. And initially they suspected the man who was killing black men or males in Buffalo was actually an, an, a national serial killer who had been going from city to city across the country, killing black men. Uh, turns out Joey wasn't that, wasn't that active, you know, but, and he stayed in the Buffalo area until they took him to the U.S. Army. Because at that time, uh, I'm, I can say, I'm, being an Army veteran of the Vietnam War, uh, uh, I can say it's weird to know that Joey was able to enlist in the U.S. Army and be sent to Fort Benning for his basic training, which got him in trouble with the law. And that's, if he hadn't, you know, uh, that's where his trouble started because the killings of Buffalo 
Blackman stopped when Joey left the area to go to his basic training. And he ended up in a, a barracks uh, with, uh, you know, a, a number of racial types, including some black men, including one who uh, apparently once called him a faggot. And Joey ended up stabbing him, and that put him in the uh, stockade there mm. for a while. Absolutely, that gets talked about I think a few times there are several articles oh, yeah. uh, talking about how he ended oh, up yeah. getting caught I guess before we get to that yeah. in terms of how he got or yeah, go the ahead. reason that it took so long for him to get caught uh, one of the things that stood out to me is uh, one him being a white person there are lots of reports that talk about hey a white person going around and doing this and how aggressive are the police being and capturing this person would a black person be able to get away with all of this regardless if he got direct assistance or not and that's something to think about as well but he got a lot of indirect assistance we'll call it that way I'll start number one you mentioned uh, one of the key witnesses for the prosecution eventually Madonna Gorney I think that's how you say her name Gorney G-O-R-N-E-Y yeah. she yeah. was at the tops the night that Glenn Dunn a black child uh, was shot uh, yeah. by Joey but she didn't initially report that oh yeah this dopey looking white guy was there with an odd gate. She just told them about all these black people that were there. And in yeah. fact, she said that she felt comforted seeing Joey there because there were so many black dudes around that. Oh, a white face. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. But she didn't realize he was shopping for somebody, to, some black man to uh, our, our boy. Cause uh, Glenn Dunn did not look like a young a young boy. He looked like he was a, a pretty well-built kid, uh, you know. So she felt safe like that way at first, you know. But by the time they talked her into testifying at one of his trials, uh, uh, she definitely said he's the one, he's the white man who was in that parking lot, and he was the only white man. And... I, I was covering the trial, and Joey just kept looking at her straight in her face the whole time, like she was, he was trying to freak her out, you know. Because I don't think he was a paranoid schizophrenic. I think he was mentally ill, but that doesn't mean you know you don't know what you're doing, you know. Because he was quite clear about things, you know. Uh, the 22 caliber killings stopped quickly after. Uh, the newspapers and news media started reporting about black victims in Buffalo being gunned down by somebody with a, a sawed-off rifle. You know, all of a sudden, uh, he managed to burn the rifle in the basement of the house he lived, where he lived with his mother. So there was no direct evidence there. And, and Sam Slade, was the the New York State police lieutenant who uh, actually was, played a critical role in in collecting evidence against him because he realized, uh, you know, even though they didn't find any uh, uh, much evidence in uh, Joey Christopher's house where he lived with his mother, uh, he remembered. Uh, uh, his father had been a, had a hunting lodge south of Buffalo, and they went there uh, 
and they they had evidence of uh, Joey firing with the same 22 caliber rifle that he destroyed, but they found bullet fragments that matched uh, weapons, you know, uh, bullets used in that same rifle before he he uh, reduced the, uh, the the size of the barrel. So Con- sawed-off barrel. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest, yeah. uh, Matt Greider. I want to go back to some of the other ways that uh, Joseph Christopher, this was allowed to continue for a while also because he had other forms of yeah. indirect help. So Madonna Gurney, although she does eventually uh, testify, great witness for the prosecution, initially yeah. she does not report this white man. Next, we had Robert yeah. S. Otto, who deliberately Otto, yeah. Yeah. Otto, he, he, got, he was totally goofed up you know deliberately said, uh, misleads a grand jury had the blonde hair no in, in, he told the cops and he told he testified in court you know uh, and belatedly he said well uh, the shooter may have had dark you know dirty dirty blonde hair you know because Joey was brown haired uh, and he kept it short, very short, when he was uh, uh, applying, registering for the U.S. Army. And why did he register the U.S. Army at that time? Uh, because he couldn't really hold on to a job. Uh, he had, for a time, been living with a, a th- with a, a, a woman. And she got him a job in the maintenance department at Kinesis College. And he ended up working uh, late night maintenance at Kinesis College, where the shooting range his father had always used has been, and where he taught uh, firearms for a while after he got his state license. Uh, you know, but... Uh, Hang on right there, just, I want to go back to uh, uh, Odo. Uh, so that's, go ahead. he lied go ahead, to the Odo. police, and he yeah. lied to the grand jury and made up some lame excuse well, that he was trying to get uh, some of the reward money or whatever other motivations yeah. that he had. Is is oh, Mr. Yeah, Odo, yeah, yeah, is he a white person? Uh, I'm not sure. I think he was mixed race. Mixed race. Yeah. Hmm. I would love to see some photographs of this individual. So yeah. we get, this yeah, is another I person. I don't have any photographs of him. That's trouble. Okay. Was was Kevin Paulson? Was that another witness? Do you remember that name? Kevin Paulson? Paulson. Not off the top of my head, no. Okay. I know it's been 40 years. I know he's talked about as yeah. another witness who did not initially reveal that he did see uh, Joseph Christopher committing these acts, but he did not want to die. In fact, the police wrote in their reports that, reports that they felt he was deliberately deceiving them uh, about the fact yeah. that the suspect was a white person. Uh, and it took them a long yeah. time to go back and keep talking to him to get him to finally give accurate information. Are you familiar? This is Kevin Paulson. Are you familiar with this person? Yeah, vaguely. vaguely okay. Yeah. That's but he had, he had criminal problems of his own, if I remember correctly. So, that I'm just pointing that in terms of when I say system of white supremacy racism at the beginning, you can say whatever yeah, you want about yeah. uh, Joey and his mental problems. But even yeah. that, all of this indirect help that he's getting where people don't want to identify him and are lying to the police, which is a crime, they tell me. And all of this, which I don't think would have been the case if it had been someone classified as black. And I know many people said that of the time uh, you do you think 
if he had just kept quiet, if he goes to Georgia, not even if he still has the fight and all that gets thrown in the stockade, if he's just shh, doesn't say anything in the stockade, nobody hears him bragging about killing black people in Buffalo. Do you think these crimes get yeah. solved? Uh, probably not. Why? Because, uh, you know, if he hadn't, uh, you know, once he got put in the stockade at Fort Benning, uh, he was there for a while and he sort of cut his private part like he was going to, you know, cut off his penis, uh, but he didn't totally do it. Uh, and that put him in the, the hospital on the base, in the psychiatric ward at the Fort Benning Hospital on campus. And he, was, he had been in the psychiatric ward for about a month when he finally started. He looked at a, a, one of his aides, one of his male aides, and told him, you know, said outright, uh, did you know I was a mass murderer in Buffalo? And that started the whole process of getting him indicted in Buffalo. And this was in the spring of 1981 when he was already in basic training at Fort Benning. You know, and if he had kept his mouth shut, you know, and if he really was mentally insane, he would never have said that. Uh, but if he had just been convicted uh, of um, um, offense in the military, he would have been in the stockade for a couple of years and been given a dishonorable discharge and returned to Buffalo to do whatever he wanted to do, which would probably try to kill more uh, black men. So, you know. Um, context of white supremacy absolutely disgraceful yeah. uh one point oh, yeah. that i do think is important you this is kind of at yeah. the end of the book i'm jumping ahead a little bit but you and i think some yeah, other people ahead. did ask uh do you have any evidence do you think uh joey had any assistance in carrying out these crimes no no he he, he didn't make friends he didn't make many friends at all period you know and he 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 destroyed his, the, his sawed-off twenty-two caliber rifle as soon as he started seeing news media reports about uh, the shootings of black men uh, by somebody using a twenty-two caliber rifle, and that's why they never found it because he had totally destroyed it. He he had a, some sort of uh, uh, his father had been a craftsman and, and they had some sort of high high density uh furnace in his in the basement of his house where he lived with his mother before he went in the army and he totally destroyed the 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 weapon there so it's amazing mm. but there was no suggestion anybody else helped him you know okay. and he was he became pissed off at black men why because you know he brought a a a, a pistol once he got his New York State pistol permit, he started carrying his pistol around his workplace at Canisius College at night. And he was there working at night in the maintenance department with a black man who complained to a, the administration of the college about how Joey Christopher's uh, walking around the campus with a, a loaded uh, pistol. So uh, Joey was confronted with that ordered never to bring the pistol back to 
to uh, the campus, and he didn't, you know. And then he he lost uh, he lost one of his father's cherished hunting rifles, and he had to report that. And that meant uh, they canceled his pistol permit for the state, and made them turn over the all his uh, father's weapons. But he managed to keep the uh, 22 caliber rifle, whose, whose barrel he sawed off and used in the the in five in four uh, murders of black African Americans in a 35 hour period in uh, September 1980. Mm. With, uh, then he started using knives. Right. And just with the first set of murders, one, I, I want listeners to think about that as well. If we're talking about, you know, is someone sane? Are they insane? And you have so much material about all these exams and what have you. That's a little bit later on. But if I'm watching the news, I'm committing these crimes. I'm deliberately killing black males. I start off. I've got my 22 caliber and I go out and I commit these crimes. And I say, oh, they've traced. They've done the ballistics and what have you. They say, oh, it's a 22. So now yeah. I start taking 22, the shells so, rid of it. so they don't have yeah. the, the casings. And I go ahead yeah. and destroy the gun so they can't find that. Now switch it up and do knives so they can't track the gun. Now, does that sound like someone yeah. that is sane or does that sound like someone that is insane? Like listeners can just ponder that one, but with Glenn Dunn specifically, and this is going to the environment of the times. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell what happened at the funeral for 14 year old Glenn Dunn, black child when he's going to be buried? Uh, I don't, I don't remember that. Off the oh, of let head. me read it. Cause that's one of the more memorable parts uh, from the book. Uh, this is, oh, okay. is September of 2000. 2000 there we go yes you'll read and then i'll get your response so as cruel evidence of the festering thread of racial hatred very much still alive at the time the september 27 1980 funeral of glenn dunn was marred by a terrible racist display two vehicles full of white males screamed out racist slurs as they drove past the standing room only crowd that had gathered outside St. Paul's Missionary Baptist Church on Kingsley Street during the late morning yeah. service. Horrified mourners yeah, told police I, I some yeah. of these white males flew past the scene in a brown pickup truck and the others yeah. others followed in a blue compact car which bore a grotesque display of a mannequin's head mounted on the hood. The funeral had attracted mm -hmm. about 500 people to pay their pay their last respects to a boy many hadn't even known, but who had tragically yeah. ended up the first of the four black victims shot that week in yeah. Buffalo and Niagara Falls. Yeah. Because the yeah. Kingsley Street Church was small, many had to stand outside for the service, which had started yeah. at about 10 a.m. A number of the mourners mm -hmm. reported to police that those foul-mouthed white men had smeared themselves with red paint and had drawn facilities bullet holes on their bare upper bodies to further their mm -hmm. denigration of the funeral service. Distracted by their grief, the mourners failed to take down the license plate numbers of the two vehicles. Unfortunately, no one was ever arrested for that vicious prank, which brought only more yeah. tears to the eyes of many mourners at the service way beyond Joey. Now that you remember, yeah. any additional thoughts? That, yeah, that explains the situation back then. You know, <laughs> Peyton Gendron. And after a while, well, in, in a sense, yeah. And after a while, you know, uh, 
Joey's mother, who was a registered nurse and didn't have much money, uh, she she wanted to know, you know, once they brought him, once they started charging him and brought him back from uh, Georgia, Fort Benning, you know, to stand, you know, he, he, she needed to get him a lawyer. So I, she went to the who she asked, oh, who's the best criminal lawyer in the area? And one of them was John Condon Jr., who had a who was a fabulous defense lawyer for all of his clients and had a big uh, law firm. Uh, and she went to see him, and he said he, didn't, he was busy with other cases, but he gave her uh, time to talk to Kenneth. Uh, you know, um, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I, I've known his name for years. Oh, one of the defense attorneys? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Dillon or? Trying to Dillon, think. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up uh, calling, uh, getting, getting uh, Mark Mahoney involved in the case, too. And they didn't take much money from uh, Mrs. Uh, Christopher because she didn't really have any, you know. And uh, they fought like they could to try to get him declared uh, mentally ill. And he would, he, they had him examined by a number of psychiatrists, uh, most of whom appeared for the defense, said, yeah, Joey was... Uh, was a paranoid schizophrenic. Yeah. Hmm. And we... uh, that stopped his first trial from from proceeding because after a while, the judge in that case uh, decided he had to be sent to the state's uh, psychiatric uh, criminal uh, facility in central New York for continued examinations of his mental state. You know, and he was there for about two months right. before they have he was brought back to Buffalo. Lots yeah. of legal wrangling over the sanity of uh, Joey oh, through the yeah. book. But yeah. before we get to that, oh, yeah. I want to get to back to yeah. more of the tension that I was talking about. You pivoted yeah. away from that too quickly yeah. with the funeral incident of Glenn Dunn. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then this continued and because another, it wasn't just. another. There was another racial incident that happened right outside of City Hall. Mm-hmm. Carl Hand. Was a no, was a nationally known uh, racist, you know, white racist, and he came to Buffalo to uh, stage a, a rally uh, in support of Joe Christopher, and but everybody knew about him coming, so uh, there was uh, hundreds of people, blacks and whites, outside the city hall uh, one day about a month or so after the killings stopped for a time in in Buffalo. And why did they stop? Only because Joey was already in the Army in, in the South by then. But, you know, Carl Hein came and thought he'd uh, push the racist incidents, and he was shut down. And Buffalo police made sure nobody was arrested and nobody was injured, and they just let him go. And Carl Hein's effort to... Uh, you know, anti anti black uh, campaign failed, and he left town. Oh, there were many anti black campaigns oh, during yeah. that time period. Oh, this yeah. is from the Washington Post. We get the aff- affirmation. The country, yes. uh, this oh, is yeah. Uh, yeah. from the Washington Post. 
Uh, this is from yeah. Chet Fuller, who's a black male and porn's a black journalist. His article is titled Buffalo is now a city of fear. I'm skipping down just to get two important paragraphs to see if you recall some yeah. of this. He writes, it was yeah. a particularly gloomy time, the spring of 1981 in the midst of widespread panic generated by a puzzling series of slings of black men and a boy because the seven victims yeah. were shot with a small caliber pistol. The media dubbed the mysterious assailant as the 22 caliber killer and a kind of gruesome lore sprang up around this mystery man exacerbating the tension between the black and white communities hate literature was distributed throughout the city in the form of licenses to hunt coons and back to africa boat tickets on the Cunard ship line direct quote black police officers reported seeing composite drawings of the murder suspect on bulletin boards in some of the city's precinct offices with my hero and man of the year written under them they said at police precincts plural and he already agreed you remember this Matt yeah yeah wow (laughs) <laughs> yeah, they were taken down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there were only four blacks shot, you know, shot. The rest of uh, Joey. Joey claimed he, he killed at least 13 and up to 17 uh, uh, minority men. Uh, and uh, when, he, when he was on leave from a basic training at Christmas time, in uh, 1980, yeah, um, he he stopped in New York City for a few uh, days, and he ended up killing uh, what turned out to be a dark-skinned Hispanic man who he fatally stabbed, uh, assuming that was a black man, uh, an African-American, but he wasn't. He was a dark-skinned Hispanic man. And he actually ended up stabbing, but not killing an actual uh, black African-American man in Manhattan before he got back on the bus and came to uh, Buffalo to spend the Christmas holiday with his his mother and, and on Weber Avenue, which was then on the fringes of what became known as Buffalo's East Side, which is a heavily... Uh, uh, African American area. That's where the tops is, uh, and I'm going to yeah. give one more. Uh, both of the tops, sure. actually, Glenn Dunn and Glenn, uh, the current tops where Peyton Gendron's terrorist attack took place. Oh yeah, I want to give one yeah. more uh, just to give. Uh, what was happening at the time again this is way beyond joey uh, and i tried to research this one and i failed thus far so i definitely got to make sure i yeah. get this one in uh, you write one Go more ahead. tensions in buffalo's black community worsened when a bus driver taking 43 members of the united voices choir of saint john the baptist church one of the city's major black institutions was injured yeah. when a metal object thrown from the side of the New York State Thruway east of Rochester, yeah. shattered the yeah. driver's window and cut him. Yeah. The incident came only minutes after a car traveling with other choir members was nearly run off the road in the same area mm-hmm. by an automobile carrying three Caucasian individuals giving mm-hmm. the white power salute. 
The injured bus driver was treated at a hospital in Syracuse and was quickly released, but the Mm throughway incidents worsened morale in Buffalo's black community, coming as close as they did to the killing. We got you remember this one as well? Oh yeah. And uh, when Joey was ordered by a Buffalo judge to to go to the state's psychiatric criminal uh, facility in central New York for mental health examinations, uh, Buffalo black men uh, started, that really turned off the uh, African-American community in Buffalo because that made it look like, well, maybe nobody will ever be criminally convicted of uh, the killings, the black men. And, you know, so finally they had to, you know, they, they're, they're a lot of intelligent black clergymen calmed people down enough on that. But even in uh, black members of the Buffalo Common Council, which was the legislative body uh, for the city at the time, uh, were, were pissed off when Joey got sent for the psychiatric examinations, you know, which ended up with him being found uh, mentally capable of standing trial. So the, you know, paranoid schizophrenia, you know, which his defense uh, experts kept talking about, uh, really didn't uh, hold water. As it should not have. Um, I want to kind of go back down memory lane a little bit, but I'm really just using this to segue to Mr. Baden's theory, which I was so intrigued about. And I want to read what you wrote in the book and just get your thoughts to see if you think it's it's accurate and what the evidence suggests. But this is man, I want to see if you could if I could just play it to see if it jogs your memory, if you can tell us what this is for listeners. Man, oh, man, the cows context of white supremacy. So this is just 30 seconds from a movie from this time period, which should be more than enough of a clue. Might amuse you, though, being from New York, maybe you've never seen a club like this. It's a gun club. We shoot guns. It's a goddamn much hoopla from the gun control people. Half the nation's scared to even hold a gun. You know, like it was a snake who was going to bite you or something. Hell, a gun a gun is just a tool, like a hammer or an axe. One long ago, you used to put food on the table. Keep foxes out of the chicken coop, rustlers off the range, bandits out of the bank. Paul, how long since you held a pistol in your hand? A long time. Which war was yours, Korea? Yeah. See much action? A little. Or infantry? I was a CO in a medical unit. Commanding officer, huh? Conscientious objective. Oh, Christ. What a guest to bring to a gun club. You're probably one of them knee-jerk liberals thinks us gun boys will shoot our guns because it's an extension of our penises. I never thought about it that way. It could be true. Or maybe it is. But this is gun country. Can't even own a handgun in New York City. Out here, I hardly know a man who doesn't own one. And I'll tell you something. Unlike your city... We can walk our streets and through our parks at night and feel safe. 
Muggers operating out here, they just plain get their asses blown up. Uh, let's see. That was a mm-hmm. movie from the time period. Uh, do you want to take a, a gander what that was? Uh, I I don't know. It wasn't one I watched. It wasn't one he watched. That was the great Charles Bronson Death Wish. Ah. Oh, Death Wish. Did you yeah. see Death Wish? Uh, the Death Wish, yeah, I, or, I did watch that. Yeah, yeah they made about yeah. a billion of them. But all the reason I played yeah. this, this movie is mentioned when people talk about this case as people saying, ooh, this movie was on television. Maybe this inspired the killer. In fact, they even hinted that, hey, maybe just like Charles Bronson's character, maybe the killer had a family member who was violated sexually by a black male. Maybe that's why he's doing these killings. Do you remember that no, as a theory? No, no, no. I, I tend to agree with uh, 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 former homo- Buffalo Homicide Chief Leo Donovan. Uh, Joey was pissed off when he lost his uh, pistol permit and could no longer carry his uh, uh, revolver onto a uh, the campus of Canisius College where he had worked, and uh, and that started him off. Uh, and Dr. Michael Baden uh, tended to agree that he wasn't psychotic either. He may have he clearly had mental problems, you know, because um, he he. he but he couldn't hold any steady job. And the only reason he lost his job at Kinesis College was after he was found sleeping the third time on his nighttime shift on the maintenance staff at the college. He didn't get fired because his gun, because he stopped bringing that to the college. Uh, but he was always pissed off that his black uh, co-worker on the maintenance night crew had turned him in to the college administration for carrying that gun on campus, which was not allowed. And that set him off. That was the first reason um, he went after black men. Mm -hmm. And he didn't do that because he was psychotic. He deliberately wanted to punish them. And then he lost when he ran for the presidency of the Bizonet Gun Club to, you know, he lost it to a black man. Mm. That really pissed him off. You know. I want listeners to make sure that they don't minimize, and especially since we talk about racism in the workplace all the time. Number yeah. one, there's two. And I guess this is a twofer because he blames the black male for him losing his guns, which is not true. Yes. He lost his weapon, and that's why he lost his gun permit. And then he blames the yes. black guy for losing his job when that's not true either him sleeping not once not twice three three times come on come on who who out so there by that time he, he that's why he joined the army what he i want people hold to think a, a job a, a civilian job I want people to think, unless you suffer from like narcolepsy, in which case I'm sure you can get, you know, a doctor's note or whatever you need. But I mean, what person do you think? I'm a black male. I'm a black female. I'm a black child. Even I could be sleeping on my job twice 
and not be fired. I don't care if you the he was a janitor. No. <laughs> like they gave him three times. Come on, three and this gun. Times. And this is yeah. after you've got a gun on campus. That alone yes. should come on, come yeah. on, come on. Yeah. Anywho, Mr. Baden's uh, whole. Th- <sighs> My goodness, Mr. Baden's whole theory. I went, I'd never heard of his book, even though we talked about Mr. Baden regularly when we went through Renthal James, but his book, Unnatural Death, you reference it in Mm -hmm. the book and his theory. He was interviewed by the Buffalo News. I just want to give listeners a little flavor of what he writes and then get your response because you've already said, eh, not so much. But he writes, uh, none of this mattered. The minute I saw the photographs of the black male victims, I knew. It was obvious that one person had done the killings. All of the New York City stabbing victims looked alike. They were young, mm-hmm. brown-skinned yeah. men with thin mustaches, and they mm-hmm. could have been brothers to the 22 caliber victims in Buffalo. In a random yeah. selection, it would have been extraordinary if two of them had looked alike. None of Gross's five people had noticed the resemblance. Each of them had autopsied only one case. Also, I had the advantage of having seen the upstate victims. It was really an accident that I noticed the faces at all. Wounds are what we examine, not faces. It just happened to hit me. We felt satisfied with our connection, but it wasn't enough to establish definitely that the Manhattan slasher was also the 22 killer. Detectives had found four shell casings, the paper bag had not been foolproof, at the scenes of the shootings, and they had 22 caliber bullets that had been taken out of the victims. They had no gun, but the gun could be traced through the bullets. He continues, what was the killer's motive? Although Christopher felt compelled to confess, he had no such compulsion to explain himself. He was different from the normal serial killer. He didn't quite fit our preconceived ideas of what he should be. He wasn't killing for fun or for money or even for sex. And he Mm -hmm. was killing blacks despite the fact that he had black friends. So did Peyton Gendron. He didn't seem to be killing for hate. He could be one of the hallucinating psychotics like Son of Sam the select few who hear God or the devil telling them to kill. He could also be a sexual sadist, a killer for whom the real purpose is a show of physical superiority and aggression. Studies show such people to be outwardly friendly. They have no criminal record before they start their career in murder. Often there is a conflict with their adult sexuality. Their family and friends are invariably shocked in these situations the victim is significant the victim represents something the army has a theory a riff on guilt and shame and a sexual conflict that could not be resolved the army thats a, the army thinks Christopher is gay he was friendly with black soldiers but his relationships had another dimension he performed fellatio on them in the stockade in return for extra food. He also mm-hmm. made a pass at the captain of the stockade. The army thought mm-hmm. he was physically attracted to a particular type, thin, 
with a mustache. But he knew the men were off limits, so he tried mm-hmm. to destroy the thing that was tempting him. By killing mm-hmm. them, he proved he was macho like his father. Joining the yeah. army was part of the need to be macho, too, to meet his father's expectations. The prison yeah. psychiatrist, who observed him briefly, thought the truth about Christopher might be simple racism. He had trouble getting along with some of the blacks in prison, but the psychiatrist does not have much information. No effort is made to study the minds of prisoners to learn what made them killers and to try to prevent it in the future. Peyton Gendron, what do you what do you make of this? Some sort of attraction to black males and he's got to destroy that which tempts him? With Joey, that was that was the situation, you know. And he was also trying to punish them for losing his father's uh, 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 arms, uh, and firearms, and you know things like that. And the fact that he uh, had to prove his his macho ness, mm. and he and Doctor. Michael Bobby said uh, he also seemed to exhibit some homosexual leanings towards black men. So that played a part in it too. Apparently, that may have provided, he may have tried to kill uh, the men he was falling in love with. You because know? there were some rumors that in the barracks uh, he would get an erection uh, when he was in the shower with other with black recruits you know after a, a day on the uh, basic training you know because at one point he stabbed a guy uh, who apparently called him a faggot mm. in the barracks and that's what put him in the stockade to begin with and he he and, repo- oh i'm sorry go ahead go ahead yeah go ahead no, i was go gonna ahead. say he he reported i mean it's so many <sighs> he reported that one of the things that he didn't like about the army was that the black guys there. In fact, I could let me read a little bit from him. He, he reported that he didn't like the fact that the guys there challenged his manhood. He said he didn't like them questioning the fact that he was a man. You just said that they mm-hmm. uh, called him a faggot. And I think one of the yeah. other black privates even said that he had been teasing him about wetting the bed. Yeah. Yeah. That pissed him off too. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was so much material, it just piled up. Uh, Michael Freeman, oh, yeah. who was yeah. the chaplain down at the, at, who was visiting him at the stockade, he goes in mm-hmm. and they're supposed to have protected. This is, I guess, his chaplain, uh, I don't know what it is, chaplain inmate privilege or what have you, where you're not supposed to share mm-hmm. anything that they tell you. But this is a one yeah. special case because he said, well, hey, he's reporting that he's having mental health issues. So if you talk to me, then I can go tell somebody what your issue is and you can get help. So he. T- Oh my God! He reports all of this. Hey, I don't like it when they're calling me a faggot. I don't like these black guys being here and and being cocky yeah. and trying to say that I'm not a man. Like he's telling all of these people. I mean, he's saying all of this directly, and then he's attacking black. Yeah. That's how he ends up in the stockade, stabbing a black yeah. guy that he thought called him a faggot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and in the stockade. 
he apparently cut his penis, but uh, they put him in the psychiatric ward at the at the uh, Fort Benning Hospital uh, to you know, and he was uh, sort of unconscious for about a, four weeks before he came up with the uh, comment to one of his guards saying, uh, you know. Uh, do you know I was a mass murderer in Buffalo? You know, and that started the whole process. You know, but Dr. Uh, Russell Barton, who was the main prosecution psychiatric witness at his last trial in Buffalo in 1986, made it clear, uh, you know, uh, he's seen and he was a veteran of the uh, psychiatric uh, industry. And he said he'd run into many men who, who tried to, uh, you know, uh, cut off their, their private parts to show their insanity, but it didn't work. You know, he said many men fake that. Hmm. Fascinating. Uh, you, you write, I found one of the greater, or one of the, I think, significant passage so this is father michael freeman had several talks he was of buffalo by the way with christopher mm-hmm. in the stockade after another chaplain told him a fellow buffalonian was jailed there freeman said joey felt he was mm-hmm. being harassed in the training brigade brigade and was mm-hmm. angered and depressed because blacks in his training unit referred to him as faggot and wimp the yeah. priest later testified yeah. that joey told him that he was depressed and wanted to see a psychiatrist uh you even said that he felt like he had been persecuted by blacks even back to uh, childhood, I even wanted to go to one of the the victims, Colin Cole, that he yeah. attacked in the hospital. He, he was in the hospital. Yes, sir. Yeah. The nurse walked Cole, in. Go ahead. Go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Cole, he he apparently had some. He only got in the hospital uh, because he still had some state uh, state you know ID card that showed that he he was permitted to come in. So a, a police at the door let him in and he was walking around uh various floors of the hospital which was the main the uh, you know the, the the county's main hospital on Crider Street in Buffalo and he was on the 7th floor uh when he saw a, a a much arrested black guy who was in there in a detox unit and he started to strangle him uh, and, and, and a nurse until a nurse came in and said, "What are you doing?" And he ran out. And you know they put out an all hospital alert, but he managed to escape the hospital anyway. So he never strangled the guy, you know. Or he didn't uh, get to finish. He didn't he, get to to completely he, kill him. He didn't get to finish. Right. But he went. He kept looking for black patients, black male patients that he could attack. And he finally found one in the detox unit on the seventh floor of the hospital, which was had like 16 floors or something like that. You know, and he managed to escape unharmed. And, you know, a few days later, he was in the Army. Mm. I wanted to... On point, his way to Fort Benning. I wanted to just give listeners a little bit more detail on the Colin... 
Cole incident since he did survive all of this and had important testimony yeah. too. But you write, yeah. uh, appearing to be a visiting, appearing to be visiting some patient in the very busy county run hospital catering to the city's yeah. poor, Joey stumbled upon a frail Colin Cole, a 37, he's kind of still in that age range, 37 year old male mm-hmm. prostitute only recently paroled from prison. He was drying out mm-hmm. in the hospital's seventh floor detoxification unit. Cole was the only black patient on that floor. Joey didn't know Cole's background. He had a lengthy history of prostitution and vice charges accumulated over many years spent strolling along the city's then sexually debauched Chippewa Street, passing as a good looking female in quotes. Cole was now in the detoxification unit receiving treatment for a barbiturate overdose. He had been paroled from the infamous Attica Correctional Facility east of Buffalo after serving almost two years on a grand larceny conviction from a May 1, May 1, 1977, $50 mugging of an 86-year-old man who had been walking to an Eastside Senior Citizen Center for a hot lunch. A year before the mugging, Cole, who had a history of vice arrests in the 1960s and 70s, served a four-month term at the Erie County Correctional Facility east of Buffalo for forging a stolen check and paying himself $122 from a closed bank account. To Joey, who was still energized by his macabre attack on the two cabbies, extracted the hearts, Cole was just an ailing black man unlikely to give him any trouble. Knowing there was usually a flurry of movement as well as a supply of unattended patients during mid-afternoon shift change, Joey chose to enter the hospital at about 3 p.m. The attacker began prowling the halls until he got to the seventh floor. Joey closed the door to the two-patient room, 752, where Cole lied alone in the bed closest to the window. Right as Joey began strangling the ailing and uncombative Cole, a nurse walked by. That nurse later told police that she had remembered leaving the door to Cole's room open. She found it curious to see it closed. Following her intuition... Gavin DeBecker, the gift of fear. She entered the room. Startled, Joey quickly yelled out, he's fallen and hurt himself. Now again, is this the same person or insane? He quickly yelled out, he's fallen and hurt himself, and scuttled out of the way. The nurse, who had apparently not seen Joey nearly choke cold to death, came to the aid of the fallen patient. Joey quickly left the room, caught a nearby elevator, and quickly fled the television-monitored hospital without discovery or apprehension. Afterwards, officials claimed a security guard had stopped Joey as he was fleeing and for some reason claimed he was allowed through because he showed the guard a security guard. Now again, if that Mm -hmm. was me or Rental James, Mm -hmm. no one will ever know how Joey made it unfilmed and unstopped out of that hospital crowded with patients, mm-hmm. visitors, and staff. And I'll stop mm-hmm. there. Uh, now, yeah. I've read this for a whole lot of reasons, but just given what you said and his some sort of perverse sexual attraction to black males, and I'm going to destroy them and, you know, feeling not like a man and losing those guns, symbolic castration, given that Mr. Cole has this history of prostitution and being a good-looking female, are we sure they don't know each other? Um, there was no no proof they ever knew each other. Really, hmm. that's a good question. But uh, you know, uh, he was the only black patient 
Joey saw in the hospital. So that's why he went after him. And he was built like the other guy, black men he was attacking. So, you know, I, there's no known history, you know. Hmm. You but said Cole, he- was, uh, Cole was quite active sexually, you know, homosexually. So, you know. And you said he... Uh, Colin Cole, this 37-year-old, he fit the, the kind of build, thin mustache. And yeah. the, other, mm. the other guys, Joey attacked. Mm. Yeah. You know. mm. I don't know. <laughs> and some, you know, there was a security guard who sort of stopped him from leaving the hospital and said, wait a minute, you can't go out because we got what are you doing in here in the first place? And that could have led to his arrest, you know. And then he went... Then he was in the army and he, he disappeared for a while. So he ended up, you know, bragging in the uh, Fort Benning Hospital psychiatric ward. Hmm. Uh, before I nab some of the uh, folks, if they have questions, the number is 720 716 the code 564-943-POUND. If you would like to participate, uh, I theorize that one of the reasons that this case has just been totally ignored, even though I think it should be it should be mentioned right with Peyton Ginger. And again, it should be reported. This has happened again at an East Buffalo Tops grocery store. But uh, yeah, I agree. I agree with you totally. I don't make any profit off this. Oh, I'm sure that (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure. No, really. I I don't write these. I wrote these. because these are, you know, these cases that I've written about are cases I've I handled through the years. So, and Joey was one of them. So, hmm. and I call him Joey because he hated to be called Joey. Hmm. You, uh, I messed up one of the books. I didn't see it until late today. I saw that one of the other yeah. true crime books you wrote, The Four Girls. Could you tell us real quick uh, just about Gail Trait? Oh, yeah. Um, she was. She gave birth to four young, you know, three young girls, and she had a, a son, a, an infant son. And she was, she had clear mental problems, you know. And uh, she lived above, on the second floor of her mother's house on the east side of Buffalo with her four young children. And she was taking nursing courses. So she knew anatomy, and but she was also mentally disturbed, and uh, she was having visions or something. And one day, she ended up uh, butchering all four of her young children, and she she literally amputated some of her sons uh, or uh, you know arms and legs and. You know, when she came downstairs, she was covered in blood, and the ladies called 911. But when Buffalo police came, they thought she was one of the victims of the attack and that that the attacker might still be in the second floor. And I know this because I ended up becoming friends with one of the first police officers, uniformed police officers, who got to the scene of the killings. And he said they went upstairs uh, to the darkened apartment and they started tripping on, you know, uh, what was uh, tripping on the blood splattered kitchen floor. 
because uh, she had so knifed her children, you know, because they thought at first that the killer was still up there hiding someplace. But, you know, and she just was on the, she just sat down on the stairs, the front stairs of the apartment building and was waiting for them when they came down and they realized it was her. So they took her into custody. It was amazing. You know, and uh, I, was I, I actually covered when she was finally arraigned on the, in the indictment on the murders of her four children. And she was in, she was so mentally unbalanced that as the judge paused during her arraignment uh, and he turned to his court court to check on what was coming up otherwise that day, I, I was, you know, in the courtroom about 10 feet away from her in the spectator area. And she turned around and said quite firmly, where are my children? You know, like she thought, who's holding, why, why didn't she have her children? That's how insane she was at the time. And uh, I ended up, it's the only defense witnesses, witness at her jury trial several years later. And I testified about hearing her say that during her uh, murder arraignments. And uh, she was convicted by the judge and the jury. And the judge imposed the maximum 25-year prison term on her for the 25 years. Yeah, 25 years. Uh, but And the only reason she got a second trial was because the Buffalo Legal Aid Bureau attorneys about 10 years after she was in prison already, uh, finally put up her appeal because they were so overworked with other cases. You know, they finally got her a second trial. And she was assigned an attorney who convinced her to go with just a judge, not a jury. And, and at the second trial, she was found not responsible for by mental disease or defect. And she was, then she spent another 10 years in state custody, but this time it was in a state psychiatric facility, which essentially got her to realize what she had done and, you know, got her sane enough so that she was finally released after 20 years in state custody, first 10 years in prison, and then 10 years in the psychiatric facility. And she finally left town and went back down to Georgia where she had relatives and where she originally came from. So, you know, so I wrote the story as you know, I, her, three, her four children were the four angels. That's what I called the book. Uh, what was the composition of the jury uh, for the first trial where she was convicted? There, there might have been one or two black people on the jury, uh, but it was mostly a white jury. Mm. And she was mentally in. She was insane. I, I, I have no question about that. You know, 
because when I heard her ask for her children while she was being arraigned for their murders, I realized this woman, you know, is not going anyplace. Mm. And, you know, she was very sad. Mm. Tell me about it. Uh, System of white supremacy and Hey, uh, Gail Trait is mentioned well, yes, directly. She in, suffered because of that, yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. And she's mentioned directly. I think a number of the black members in Buffalo at that time said, now, are you serious? <laughs> You're going to convict yeah. Gail Trait? And then yeah. Joseph Christopher comes along and says, whoa, 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 whoa. He's insane. Wait yeah. a minute. Wait a minute. Like, are yeah. you serious? Yeah. Well, his lawyers kept pushing to, to get him declared insane criminally insane but uh every time they'd have him examined uh he was found uh legally competent for criminally competent for trial Mm. which meant he could understand what he did and where it was wrong you know he may have had meant he clearly had mental problems but they weren't enough that he couldn't tell reality come on and when dr robert barton russell barton examined him before his last Buffalo trial in 1986, Joey clearly described the killings of at least seven Buffalo men, and he admitted uh, knocking the two cab drive black cab drivers out and cutting their hearts out, and and just you know throwing them into some field someplace, and they were never recovered, you know. And, and no one charged Russell in those Barton cases. Said, no, he was never charged with them, but he 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 was sentenced to uh, essentially a life term for the killing of a dark-skinned Hispanic and the stabbing of a black man in New York City, and for the three. Uh, and he was convicted at his second trial for the. 22 caliber killings of the three of his four victims there he he was convicted by a jury of first degree manslaughter for each of them and the the combined sentences put him away for at least 33 and a third years to life and uh, the judge who sentenced him in Buffalo uh, a state Supreme Court justice in Manhattan in sentencing him said, quote, there is no doubt that the defendant is mentally ill, but it is obvious he is a tremendous menace to society, and it is my job to see that he doesn't menace society again. So he knew Joe had mental problems, but he wasn't insane. Mm, totally ab- insane. He knew what he was doing, in other words. Absolutely, no doubt about it. Yeah. I wanted to just make sure that I get some of the information on the uh, two victims where he's carving the hearts out of these victims. And this is after he's been reading yeah. news reports and, oh, wait a minute, they got the gun. So he, we think, destroys the gun. And now he switched up his modus operandi. But time is right and exact. This was on NPR, uh, like literally hours ago, as I was prepping to have our guest Matt Greider with us on the program this evening. This was on NPR World Dracula Day. Mm-hmm. 
Good morning, I'm Rachel Martin. May 26th was World Dracula Day, and people in Whitby, England came out in force. More than 1,300 would-be vampires assembled to set a new Guinness record. For it to count, you had to be dressed in all black, including cape and vampire teeth. They edged out the previous record by 300 souls. A Facebook post after the event summed up everything well, saying, quote, you all looked fantastic. It's Morning Edition. World Vampire Day. So this is back to Joey 22. Uh, Matt Greta, he writes, Dr. Barton asked Joey why he chose a black cab driver as a victim. I thought Mm -hmm. I was on an army mission. I thought he Mm -hmm. was the devil. It was wrong with me. Joey responded in his own disjointed and grammatically incorrect parlance. When Barton told Joey that stakes were often driven through the hearts of vampires to kill them, Joey seemed to agree. I thought that's how to kill the devil. Asked what he did with the victim's heart, Joey calmly said, I threw it in a field right next door to the scene of the attack. Though he was not any more precise with the psychiatrist about the site of the second cabbie attack, Joey told him Mm -hmm. he had used a hammer and put two holes in his head. After the Mm -hmm. hammer blows, Shorty Jones fell to the ground. Joey said he cut through the ribs, reached in, and grabbed the heart. He impaled the severed organ with one of the three wooden stakes he had made specifically for the attacks. Pressed by Barton on the reason for the second cabbie killing, Joey repeated, I thought I was on a mission. He said he walked home about three or four miles after abandoning the cab, all while feeling terrified that I was going to be attacked by black people for what he mm-hmm. had just done but mm-hmm. he immediately denied harboring ill feelings toward blacks I'll pause there yeah hmm. he knew what he was doing you know and you know when he was sent by court order to the state psychiatric criminal facility you know they and, you know, inmates there, you know, they weren't being held in, on criminal charges, but they were telling him, you know, you want to say you're insane? Say you hear voices coming out of your television telling you to kill people. You know, so because he never, after a while, he was telling, uh, uh, you know, uh, months and months after he was finally indicted and facing trial, he finally started talking about how, voices would speak to him from his television in his home telling him to to kill people but i think he was trying to get his insanity uh uh situation set that way but it didn't work it backfired totally on him Hello. Context of white supremacy. Sorry, I was trying to get myself unmuted there. You, yeah, I think this this, okay. this sport is important as well because I think so uh, frequently, uh, so frequently, black people are portrayed as as being cowardly and 
never fight back like these sort of things happen and they just you know are chumps and just sit around and take it and I've said frequently that that is not the case that sometimes these uh, when black people do fight back against white supremacy racism it's just deliberately in fact I can give you two one you quote a report from Newsweek October 1980 fears of black America where they put everything in context with the Atlanta child murders in this case and some of the killings with Joseph uh, Paul Franklin at the time, even though he hadn't been identified. I was at the university of Washington library uh, and I was trying to get that. I had it. They, they have the uh, bound volume. So this is hard copy. I go get the bound copy for September and October. I go to that issue, it's I believe October 27, 1980. I go to that issue to get this specific article. Someone has ripped it out of the magazine. Now they got huh. tons of articles in there about the Klan arming and all kinds of other things mm-hmm. that deal with racism. But this article, literally, torn, you can see where it's been torn out of the bound library volume of Newsweek. That's one. And that sort of thing is common. We've heard James Lowen and others talk about going to research episodes of white supremacy and somehow the whole, sometimes they say they'll go and it'll be like the whole microfilm will be gone. Whole hard gone. You can't mm-hmm. even figure out like what happened. What, what, who knows mysteries of the world. The two yeah. second, second one is, uh, but one of the reasons that I think that this event is not talked about, is because black people were not cowards and chumps. When these events started being reported, black people in Buffalo did not say, oh, we got to turn the other cheek. Oh, you know, we just, oh, we no, got to no, pray. No, they, Go, take they it away. Started, yes, sir. Uh, take it away. Yeah, they started, uh, uh, you know, uh, in cabs, to, driving in cars together, you know, more than one. Uh, sometimes uh, there were reports that some black men would be driving their car and one of their friends would be hiding in the, under the back in the back seat, the back passenger seat, you know, where he couldn't be seen if somebody had tried to attack his friend, you know. But you know that, and some of them were walking the streets together, uh, you know, to protect each other. You know, that's how it was dangerous at the time, you know, until Joey went to to the army barracks in, in the South, you know, but that's, that's the racial attitude you had at the time in Buffalo. And it still exists to some, uh, extent, you know, yeah. Then you got this, this kid, this 18 year old kid who comes all the way from central New York to, to shoot blacks and, and, in in Buffalo, that's you know. So you don't think exists. You, all I can say. You don't think, uh, Mister uh, Peyton Gendron, you don't think he knew about Joey at all? Uh, I'm not so sure he did, unless he, he unless he stumbled on it on uh, on the uh, on the internet. Apparently, he was quite active with you know his social networking. You know. But mostly racial things, so you know, there's no way to tell. Maybe it'll come out, you know, as he's you know, put on trial. You know, hmm. I'm hoping that it uh, 
will come out. I just I wanted to ask as well. You you give a lot of the quotes from the newspapers at the time. The uh, yes, news yes. archive is a great resource yes. if any of the folks out there want to check uh, any of the information. Like it's a great way if you want to practice your sleuthing uh, skills. News archive has a lot of the sources from like the Courier Express and Buffalo News and all that. But uh, you quoted uh, yes. Glenn Dunn's mother. Uh, she was kind of talking about the impact yes. that this had on her, and she she yes. says. Uh, she told the Courier Express reporter that her bitterness over what she considered to have been the slow speed of the murder investigation was finally diminishing with the arrest and indictment of Joey. However, mm -hmm. she added that if seven white men had been killed, they would have been grabbing any black man off the street. Seven months? That really hurt me. Do you think she's accurate? I can't disagree with her. You know, I covered police for many years, and you know, both in court and as a police reporter. So, yeah, you know, I can't. You know, but look, she—you can't disagree with her. Hmm. See, we had uh, some of the folks who dialed in with a question. Uh, you. Refer, I'll just read it uh, right here. Yeah. You write, uh, they were in Buffalo. Mr. Cosgrove, he's one of the d attorneys uh, who worked on this case initially. Um, they were attempting to get uh, federal intervention uh, to get a task force and get additional funding uh, to help them come in and figure out who was doing this in the first few months, seven months uh, while all this is going on. Oh, yeah. They uh, had a task force set up for the uh, Atlanta child murder, so-called, uh, but they were denied uh, that federal support uh, in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, you write yeah. that. Uh, oops, make sure I get the full. There we go. Uh, Cosgrove and his task force also began corresponding with Atlanta Mayor Maynard Jackson and that city's special yeah. task force on missing children, which was dealing with the horrors of serial killer Wayne Williams' systematic killings of up to 29 black youths and two adults beginning in 1979. Now, this came up before important because we had already said this. Nobody was ever charged with the murders of those two black male cab drivers. Nobody was ever charged with those missing yeah. children and it let not Wayne Williams, not anybody. So it's, is it accurate to say that Wayne Williams is a serial systematic child murderer? In Atlanta. Yeah. That's, that's accurate after, to say. After Joey got convicted of, uh, the three Buffalo, uh, 22 caliber murders, uh, and the New York city attacks, the two, you know, they they stopped. They they didn't prosecute anymore. They because they'd expended so much money already in the, in the investigation in both places that they decided, you know, he's never going to get out of uh, prison for the rest of his life. You know, he's never going to get an early parole. And uh, the funny thing is, uh, he sort of to me he proved that there is a God who punishes you because he ended up dying of um, a, a rare male form of breast cancer and being right. buried that's, that way. That's with Mr. Christopher, but you, you included Wayne yeah. Williams as a serial killer of these black oh, youths yeah. and two adults. That's, that's, that's the one I want to slow down a little bit. You are aware yeah. no one was ever charged with those murdered and missing children in the Atlanta case. Are you aware of that? 
Not off the top of my head, no, because I haven't followed that closely. Oh, okay. Well, that that is like we were talking about before with the cab drivers, as I mentioned. Wayne mm-hmm. Williams was convicted of killing two adults. He was never even charged with mm-hmm. killing, kidnapping, anything to do with oh, any yeah. children, and no you. one else has been charged. And this is important. Yeah. Uh, Chet Detlinger, we had him as a guest on the program. He wrote the book or was co-author of the book, The List. He's since passed on, but he worked on the investigation, former police officer. Uh, and he said, mm-hmm. no, I do not believe Wayne Williams committed all of these crimes. One person? Like, really? All of them by himself? Like, no way. I don't think that that happened. Uh, uh, he talked hard to say. Uh, about a much... But- much more detail about the case but uh the main point being no one was ever charged and then the other point i don't know if you're familiar with anthony broadwater i guess that's a little bit further upstate in new york uh but those carpet fibers that was a big Mm -hmm. part of how wayne williams was convicted carpet fibers and hairs and all of that that has since widely been branded pseudoscientific BS uh, and they have had to go Anthony Broadwater go back my bad sorry you got convicted we just made that up and all that was a heavy factor I don't know if you're aware Wayne Williams is a case that we also spent a lot of time on black victims white supremacy racism but yeah that was a case that revolved heavily around carpet fibers and other things Chet, he told us in 2009, he told us that that is utter, what I just said, pseudoscience. They're going to come out and say that eventually, and they did. But yeah, the, the you can quabble about a whole lot of things. The main thing, no one was ever charged with any of those missing and murdered children in Atlanta. Very important. Did you want to add anything? Uh, well, no. The, the, the fourth of the 22 caliber killings by Joe Christopher, uh, a New York, uh, a Niagara Falls man, who was the last of the four victims, uh, the, uh, the Niagara County District Attorney's Office uh, never uh, prosecuted Joy for that because uh, after he got what essentially was a life sentence for the Buffalo, the three Buffalo shootings and the two uh, Manhattan attacks. You know, so there are a number of uh, uh, victims of Joe Christopher who have never, who will never see uh, prosecution. And, you know, and the funny thing is, when Dr. Russell Barton uh, examined Joey for two days in the, in the cellar of the Erie County Holding Center uh, for his last trial, uh, he told him specifically Nothing you tell me now can be used as evidence against you in the court across the street. Um, and while they were talking, Joey kept smoking because he became, he became addicted to three packs of cigarettes a day when he's finally in custody year, you know, a year or two earlier. Um, he kept telling him, yeah, he killed both cabbies and, you know, cut out their hearts and threw them away you know but they couldn't use that against him but there was enough other evidence to get him so that the, the cabbies the cabbie murders were never just, you know there was no convictions in court for them now if they were you know 
white victims that you know they might have pressed for something further in court but nothing like that happened you know mm. and uh joey was talking to dr barton in the cellar of the holding center uh after being told nothing he admitted to there could be used against him as evidence in court so it wasn't but he admitted killing the two cabbies and cutting out their hearts so hmm. context of white supremacy yes. we'll nab uh, uh, some of the folks who died well, yes. let's yes. see uh, retired firefighter in Florida did you have a question our guest Matt Greida 50 years of journalism in western New York. Did you have a question, retired firefighter? Yes, sir. Uh, I actually have two, if I, if I can. Uh, number one, uh, to the uh, guests, uh, do you have any tips or any information uh, that you can relay to us as a white male, white person, uh, to prevent uh, such attacks that took place in uh, Buffalo, New York, uh, so black people would be aware of it to enable to prevent such tragedies happening to black people. Do you have any tips for us that, that we can uh, be ahead of uh, such attacks? Um. No, I, I mean, I, 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 I was in the U.S. Army in Vietnam, where I, I, I shared bunkers with a lot of uh, uh, black men and African Americans, and uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I don't consider. I'm not a racist. You know, I've had black friends for years in the army and out of the army, and even you know, through my journalism career. So um, you just have to be careful. That's all I can tell you. Um, uh, I don't, you know, well, no, that would be a political thing. I think uh, LBJ's Great Society uh, created problems, you know, because in, as I keep reading it, in the 40s and 50s, Black families were quite close together, and they had very few criminal problems. And really, the uh, problem of uh, uh, criminality in the black community didn't really go get started until the Great Society, when women were just paid for having every child, even if, even when they were unmarried. So you just have to be careful. That's all I can tell you. Okay, uh, you kind of, you kind of, uh, I, I didn't really get it as far as uh, any tips or anything, other than uh, you uh, basically stated that you don't have any any tips. Uh, I deal with I deal with uh, black male children. Uh, yeah. and, uh, on a weekly basis, and I would like for to have something additional to say that's coming from a white person uh, on the subject of how to uh, protect themselves or assist others 
uh, in such attacks that has been happening lately. Uh, and uh, anyway, I guess, I guess I have to accept whatever you stated to me. But the second question is, yes, go ahead. Uh, being that you were in Vietnam, could you yes. give us some examples of racism, white supremacy being practiced on, number one, the people who are called Vietnamese, and number two, black soldiers who were in Vietnam with you? Well, I had a lot of buddies in Vietnam who were black because I started out with, in, even though I, I, I became a, an Army correspondent because I was in the Signal Corps, but I was on a fire base in I Corps where there was still a lot of fighting, and we had a lot of, I had a lot of black colleagues, you know, uh, enlisted men with me there. And I never had any, but I've never had any trouble with dealing with, you know, blacks because, you know, I, I don't, under, you know, I'm totally uh, kicked off by white supremacists. I, I don't think it's justified at all. So you know, I, I can't give you anything to protect uh, kids other than, you know, um, you said you can't. Ignore are you saying you can't give any any example of 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 the two questions that I asked of of the Vietnam experience? Uh, not that I can recall. No. Okay. So, and and, and basically, what you're saying, uh, there was no mistreatment based on color uh, at all in Vietnam. Well, no, I'm not saying that. I don't know. That you know about, to, that you know that about. Not that I witnessed. Not that I witnessed. No. Okay. Uh, any anything that you may have heard that you can share with us? That was like fifty years ago, and I, I don't remember anything like that. All right. I'm through. Thank you, Gus. Okay. I'll call her much obliged. We were there fighting together. Let's see. I'll call her 1159. Did you have a question for Matt Greider? Greetings, Gus. Greetings, Matt. Um, I have two questions, if I may. Um, The first one, Mr. Matt, is um, should non-white people be suspicious of all white people of being capable of um, being um, joeys or um, capable of harming non-white people in a manner of ways? Should we be suspicious of all white people? Uh, I, I don't, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing it. Um, Should non-white people be suspicious of all white people because we don't know who are the racists who are the ones who are going to be attacking us randomly but should we be suspicious of all white people uh i'm not sure you know if if you see somebody who's making racial comments you should you know ignore them and just don't associate with them Okay, my second question is um, yeah. what what do you think about um the the behavior pattern of um 
white people attacking their genitalia and and also attacking um non-white people, particularly black people. Um I don't know. Uh, you mean just in general? I don't get it. I don't understand the question. I understand you're saying you know, white people attacking black people, but you know that's criminal. Hello. I heard you. Okay, I I, I can't give you it. I, I don't understand. You know, if somebody's threatening you, you can call 911, you know, call the police. I have a follow-up question for something he said, if possible. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Yeah, go ahead. Um... So um, you said if a person is making, like, racial remarks, a lot of white people who go out and eliminate non-white people, I don't think they make racial remarks that non-white people can hear. But, so with that being said, for non-white people to be safe in the system of racism, should we be suspicious of all white people who are capable of harming non-white people. Yeah, but how do you know that they hate non-white people? That's the trouble. If you hear them complaining no, saying, about non-white, then you got to... I'm saying harming, and we don't know if they, if they want to harm us or not. But that's why we should... Well, if somebody threatens you, you got to call, you know, you got to call 911. I, I can't give you any better example than that. You know. Understood. Thank you. Much obliged, sir. Uh, Dread138, did you have a question for Matt Greider? Dread138. Yes, good evening. Can, you, can I be heard clearly? Yes, sir. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Great. Good evening, Mr. Grider. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, callers, listeners. I have a, several questions. I'm going to try to um, get to the main points. Mr. Grider, were you raised Fine. in the Buffalo area? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. Born and bred. Um, spectacular. So now you are very familiar with, with, this, with this incident. And um, since writing your book, are you often asked to speak on this incident of terrorism, uh, Joey? Not really, no. As you call it. Not really, no. Okay, thank you. Um, how do you frame the killer Joseph Chris's brutality? Do you see it as an individual accident or is it a part of a larger, pit, a larger pattern of dedication to the system of white white supremacy, where people classified as white must mistreat, mis, must mistreat and abuse those that are classified as white. I'll mute there. Thank you. He seemed to have a pattern of attacking black 
men are dark-skinned men who are all eventually had uh, were not heavily built. In other words, that they couldn't fight back against them. Because apparently, um, before he started uh, his criminal career, he actually tried to attack another black man on the east side of Buffalo. But that man slugged him or something, and Joey ran away. And that apparently took place several weeks uh, before he killed the the first of the twenty two caliber victims, you know. And the other problem at the time was uh, two weeks. This came out years after uh, he was convicted and in, in prison already for life. Two weeks before he actually started the twenty two caliber killing spree. He went to the Buffalo Psychiatric Center and said he needed some psychiatric help because he was having trouble holding a job and, you know, things like that. So they tested him and the doctors there said uh, there's no reason for him to be held for mental treatment in the facility because it was a psychiatric hospital in, in Buffalo. And then two weeks later, he started the 22 caliber killings uh, with the killing of the Dunn kid. You know. So that's an, uh, that shows a problem with the, uh, the state, you know, the country's psychiatric uh, um industry because he he could the the killing started when he would have otherwise been in custody in the psychiatric center and being treated for mental problems but they said there was no need for him you know they could he could come back for uh off system off you know outpatient counseling, but that's about it. But he never went back there, and he started this killing spree. So that's a fault of the system. System. Did uh, that answer your question, Darid138? It's an answer. I'll I'll, I'll ponder on it. Um, I would like to ask one last follow-up question, and then I'll let other calls go because it actually leads into what what he said. Um, we talked about um, his connection to losing his guns, and um, many of the listeners know about um, Dr. Welsing's um, concept of the great equalizer. And do you connect that... Do you think that uh, Mr. Christopher connected the loss of his guns and his um, phallic symbol to the black male? And then um, does it play into him going to his killing spree? Or did that happen after 
he started. No, he lost his guns. He, he blamed it on the the white the black band he was he was working with at Kinesis College in the maintenance at nighttime maintenance on the maintenance staff. You know because uh, he he ended up losing. He could no longer carry his pistol on campus because he apparently was, you know, teaching pistol uh, uh, firearms in the and at to the uh, the gun club that was operating on campus, and that pissed him off, and that that started his whole his whole uh, uh, crime spree. Much obliged. One three eight. Just two quick questions before you. Uh, we let you enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, one of them was: Do you? Yeah, go ahead. Do you see any connection with Christopher? He extracts the hearts of these two black male uh, cab drivers. Do you see any connection between that and the long documented history of? white supremacists castrating black males, mutilating their bodies, keeping, you know, body parts in jars as some sort of souvenir. Do you any, see any connection between those uh, activities? Well, in the sense that they're all vicious crimes, yes. But specifically with the mutilation of the genitals, mutilation of the body parts, extracting the body parts, and that being symbolic uh some sort of power uh manhood he talked about that and that i mean emmett till they just got the emmett till anti-lynching bill like do you see any sort of pattern or connection to that or is this just no separate events not related no i think i think joey did this all on his own you know in his twisted you know thinking you know he was not insane as such as a really insane person, uh, you know, just babbles. He can't. He was. He had things planned out quite carefully. Hmm. You talked about Ed Cosgrove meeting with. Uh, yeah. Joey's white widowed mother after all this was yeah. over, and she's a nice woman, and yeah. blah blah blah. Did he meet with any of yeah. the victims of the black family? Uh, I don't know. I, there was no evidence that she did, you know. Mm. Uh, we had a number of listeners who said, uh, the way that I came across the information, listeners said, man, as soon as these first first 36 hours, he kills four black males. As soon yes. as this happens, they should have had a press conference. Hey, black males, be on alert. We've had this happen. They all seem to fit this profile. Like, hey, look out blah 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 they should have had a press conference i looked the buffalo challenger october 1980 they said the yeah. same thing they should have had a press yeah. conference to let us know as opposed to waiting and waiting and waiting and this continues to be a problem and especially throughout new york uh the niagara and all the rest of these areas rochester and new york city and all the rest of it they should have had a press conference do you think they should have just done that hey black males be alert. Yeah, I I think yeah they should have, but you know, black males in the Buffalo area. I remember they 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 would band together to to try to protect each other. You know, 
they they wouldn't uh, drive. Like I said, some some guys would drive around in their cars with a buddy hiding on the floor of the back, the passenger the back seat the back seat so that if they were attacked uh, there'd be two of them to go after the individual you know and some of them were walking the streets together you know but it calmed down after a while for that you know mm. fascinating fascinating but you're you're right they should have done more to begin with you know but Buffalo Challenge was right. That wasn't Gus T. The Buffalo Challenger, they said that way back yeah. when. And then yeah. listeners, upon hearing all this, they had the same logical conclusion. They should have had a press conference if Black Lives Matter. But, hey, mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, man, I'm going to have to uh, check out because I didn't know this was my first time hearing about uh, uh, Miss Tate uh, and your other book so i will have to yeah. uh do my bit gail tate gail trait sorry gail trait this is my first gail time hearing trait, about her. Yeah. yes i will have to yeah. investigate but we have been chatting with uh half century journalist uh matt greida talking about his book joey 22 which is available at amazon.com you've heard me quote from it liberally uh, i think it gives lots of detail about white supremacy racism way back in 1980 i guess before you depart that the the bus incident with the united voices uh saint baptist where they threw the I guess whatever it was some object and injured the bus driver uh, and the white card mm-hmm. came by and did the power black, white power yeah. salute. I was not able to find, was that like reported in the newspaper? Did you report about that? Or do you remember that being in the newspaper? No, because that didn't happen near Buffalo. That was, you know, in the Syracuse area. So mm. do you think that was reported in like the Syracuse papers? I, it might've been, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Hmm. Okay. Okay. This might be out of your, I guess I, I told one fib. So one more, do you recall at any point, this would be in the, uh, like early night. Are you familiar with Anthony Broadwater? The black male who was exonerated recently. He uh, was convicted of raping Alice Siebold in Syracuse. She was a Syracuse student at the time. He spent 16 years in prison. This happened at the end of 2021. Are you familiar with Anthony Broadwater, that case at all? Only vaguely, only vaguely. Okay. No need that he was acquitted after a while, you know. Got it. Exonerated, but gotcha. Um, yes. They, in Alice Siebold's book, uh, she's a student in Syracuse, uh, upstate New York. Mm-hmm. She says that a female was raped and dismembered on the campus of Syracuse in the early 1980s, maybe late 1979. Mm. You as a journalist mm-hmm. in Western New York, do you remember any case of a female being dismembered on Syracuse University campus in the early 1980s or late 1970s? Not off the top of my... No, not right away. I have to research it. Okay. If you find the time, if you know, you can take a gander through your files or what have you I would love to know because I have been searching and I have not been able to find such a case and I figure like hey Syracuse is a major institution if a female was killed and raped and dismembered on campus like whoa there should be all kinds of you know 
the Orange Men and the Syracuse paper and yeah. the, the, the New York Times. Where, where did you read about it? <laughs> the book Lucky. A book? Alice Siebold, oh. she says that she, this is why the book is called Lucky. She says at the very beginning that the police officer, after she was allegedly raped, the police officer told her that a girl was raped and dismembered in the exact same spot where she said she was raped. Uh, at a, It's like a tunnel on the campus of Syracuse. He said he told her she was lucky to have survived because this female was raped and dismembered there. But yeah. yeah, all of this is in. But yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, hey, let's even investigate yeah. that. Was did this happen? Did she lie about that too? Yeah. Like, hey, I, I would love. So if you can, yeah, if I that, don't, I don't know. If you have time, I would love if you could just check to see was there a case. If not, add that to the list of fabrications from her text, uh, which is also the history of racism, white supremacy in upstate okay. and western New York. Well if, well, if I find something, I'll let you, I'll give you a call. I got your number, so no problem. Ah, appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, again, okay. Mr. Matt Greider, thank you so much for spending some time with us this Memorial Day evening. Appreciate it chatting about Joey. Uh, thank enjoyed you. Enjoyed the book. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciated this. Yes, sir. Take care. All the best. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Remember, if somebody gives you trouble, you know, call the authorities. Don't, you know, whatever your race is, you know, like the, I, I, I'm, I'm still shocked that the, the, the 19 kids killed in Texas. That's you know, disgusting. Anyway. Okay. All the best. Thank you very much. Much obliged. Matt Greider, author of Joey. Uh, thank you, sir, for uh, hanging out with us again. Take care. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Evening. That was Matt Greider, author of Joey 22 uh, and other uh, true crime texts. Uh, Gail Trait. I didn't even know about her, but she is mentioned in the uh, Christopher Murders White Terrorism uh, in the state of New York. Her name is mentioned correctly. I even speaking of corrections. I will stand corrected. We had listeners in the book club. That's why the book club is mandatory. Like, wow. We had to take a pause just so that I can filter, but I mean, wow. Unless folks, you know, total yawn. I know that does happen sometimes where we have guests on the program where they do not have like a, they're not sterling orators. You know, they're not, and I think of like uh, Dr. Umar, which captivated, riveted on the edge of your, oh, Wow. Right on, brother. <laughs> like, no, Matt Grida is, is not that. Not even close. All of that said, Take reading. Care. Hang on and do, do not interrupt anybody. I certainly always give folks an opportunity to speak. I do not interrupt anybody when they are talking. I have said this for years. I get tired of having to repeat that. Do not. I don't care what you have to say. Like, I really don't. I don't care what you have to say. Do not interrupt me when I am talking. And it should be no interrupting anyone when they are speaking. That should be part of counter racist code. Continuing. Interruptions aside. People should know about Joseph G. Christopher. 
the cows is widely hated for many, many reasons by everybody, white people, non-white people. So what? Man, I've called Mr. Grida to confirm he was going to be a guest on the program. That's what I do with all of our guests. Remember uh, when Professor Daniel King, non-white female, victim of white supremacy, she was going to be a guest on the program. And then she <laughs> called in, kicked us out, didn't even you know participate, that sort of thing all the time. People have been canceling on us like minutes before we go live. So I always confirm. I dialed him. Yeah, and I, ugh, I hate calling people on the phone. He said, yo, yeah, have your number. He has my burner phone number. I hate talking to people on the phone because it just, it goes bad. Like every time almost, it's just ugh, everything I like doing via email. Like let's do it that way. And you know, then we'll just chat for the first time via phone live on the program. I like that much, much better, but I called him yesterday to confirm and he didn't say anything. He just hung up the phone. Now for total info, he's obviously New York state. I'm in Seattle, Washington. I called him. It was four thirty my time approximately 7:30 his time now i wanted to call him earlier but wow the plantation was difficult for the sabbath maybe you know so-called holiday weekend whatever but it was a rough sunday delayed me being able to call even though i said hey he agreed to do the program at 8 p.m eastern like i'm gonna have to call him 30 minutes even later than this 24 hours later to do the program for two hours so he should be okay with a quick oh we're doing the program tomorrow yay nay okay not taking up the whole evening he didn't say anything so I didn't know like uh oh is he not you know not talking I'm not messing with you crazy niggers I even I deleted the program because I didn't know said I'm not you know gonna have people false advertising like man Gus you see coming on here because I told people Saturday you know I read a little bit from the book and everything that sort of thing I mean you have no idea interrupting me ready to call somebody a coon really challenges my patient patience wasting my time is even worse like super name calling this one however though by the time the confirmation and everything had happened like I'd already read like almost the whole book basically I had like two or three chapters left but I basically read the whole book and done the promotion and things and all that had everything ready to roll like lots of time invested I'd spent days reading the book and everything Uh, so like man I would have been upset was upset but then it was like man when I got to that part about Michael M. Baden who testified in the flipping O.J. Simpson trial helped trash all of the forensics of LAPD OJ flipping Simpson your world juice your world um when I got to that part that I read from his book unnatural deaths where he talked about all the homosexual racism his attraction to black males got to destroy man I was like now how upset can you be because you maybe wouldn't have read this if you wasn't going to be a guest on the program and now you got this extra book and extra information and then I was really upset like man this book was published in 2014 we easily could have read this book like a long time ago shared this information with Dr. Francis Cress Welsing and would have been spectacular didn't get an opportunity to do that was confused about racism white supremacy 
at the time, so didn't get that chance. Let's see. Oh, okay. Uh, didn't get that opportunity uh, to share, but I mean, wow, it would have been awesome uh, to share that information with Dr. Frances Cress-Welsing just to hear her thoughts on the theory of white genetic annihilation and what happened with this case because I never heard that. Dr. Welsing lived through all of this. 1980, she lived through this whole time period. Uh, I'm assuming that she would have had to know, like I can't imagine Dr. Welsing not being aware of this case. Like that just doesn't seem possible. Sorry, I thought it was some other folks who were being loud in the background and it was Mr. Uh, Greider who was with us. I would have let him hang on the phone, but he was being loud. Like if he had been muted, like you can't be interrupting me either. Uh, sorry about that for the other folks who were with us. You can just dial back in. My apologies. Uh, thought it was folks who were talking or being disruptive on the line. My bad. Dial back in. Don't like having uh, disruptions uh, taken away, distracting from my train of thought. Anywho, um, but I would have loved to hear Dr. Welsing's thoughts on this. Like, I just can't imagine her being alive, working on the ISIS papers in the 1980s. She had known Mr. Fuller at that point. I cannot imagine like her not being aware of what was happening in Buffalo. That just seems totally like a thousand percent impossible. So she had to know about this case. It would just be how much detail or like she would have to remember like, oh, yeah, that's right. Buffalo, blah, blah, blah. Man, I th- did you read this? <laughs> I do what? Attracted to all, and I don't know the Colin Cole case if he knew him or not, but I mean, you got a black male who's known to be a sex worker and a female, and he just happens to find this black male on the in the hospital ward. He said there was no evidence that they knew each other, but wow. Neely Fuller Jr. said with. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer that is the goal of white supremacy racism he said I normally don't even pick out someone as like a representative of white supremacy racism he said I wouldn't pick Adolf Hitler I would pick Jeffrey Dahmer the fungibility remember that from the man not uh, Dr. Tommy J. Curry the fungibility of black males a thing you're not a, a man not a boy, just a thing. Take his sex organs, take his heart, fingers, body parts, all that. We just talked about that with Zachariah Walker. And then they hear all and then all the way through, not just consuming these black males, and then he's upset because they're calling me a faggot, saying I'm not a man, teasing me because I wet the bed. What? Neely Fuller Jr. talked about all of this even the losing the gun the castration Dr. Welsing as well uh, losing and he blames it on a black this black guy turned me in that's not even why he lost the guns it's on in Connie City misplaced it if you want to say that literally lost a firearm and so that up oh, we're going to suspend your permit you got to hand over all your guns and he doesn't even do that my cherished 22 I'm going to go around and hunt these black people same thing with Peyton Gendron hunt white racist hunters 
of black people said he used the same techniques that he learned with his white father to go out and carve up deer carve out the hearts of black males plural hmm we'll uh, see if folks have thoughts take a quick break context of white supremacy man oh man white genetic annihilation Dr. Francis Cress Welsing the grandcestor indeed we'll be right back after this quick break and from the late 1960s after the death of Martin Luther King and the riots and the upheavals and all like this and black people with their fists in there and all like that and trying to stumble and fumble and find their way and get focus the white supremacists made a blueprint and put it in action and that is I'm going to have these people so confused they don't even know what they started out to do and by the late 1970s they had just about completed it and we've been on that ever since and you mentioned something very important they are more comfortable than ever but see it's like making Gorillas comfortable in a cage, or monkeys, or pandas. You still got them in a cage, but they're comfortable. See, so give him some bling bling. It's like giving an animal a brand new car and training the animal to ride up and down the street in it. And then you stand back and point at the animal. Like one white man said in the late 1950s, he said he doesn't care what kind of car a Negro has. He said he's still a nigger. And when he rides by in a shiny car, to him, it's just a monkey in a car. White people built a car, put a monkey in it, trained the monkey to drive the car, so now you're looking at a monkey in a car. See, but black people don't see themselves that way. But this is how the white supremacists see us, and they are the ones who run our business. And we have to know that, that when they look at us, that's what they see. That that's what they see. That that's what they see. And at a subliminal level, what they see begins to spill over into our brains so that we, at a subliminal level, see each other that way and indirectly see ourselves that way. Mm. Context of white supremacy. The book club is mandatory. We haven't even gotten to any of this in the book club. We, The book that we are reading the differences. Oh, that was one I should have asked him. He did say he didn't want to talk about that book. He said that uh, Catherine Pellinero, who wrote Absolute Ma- oh. because I read this book, I now know where she got the title from for a book that is lame as well. White woman wrote this book, and a white woman, a white man wrote this book. Either way, the book club is mandatory for so many reasons. 
I don't know if she's going to cover all of this in her book, but apparently she wanted to talk to Catherine Pellinero. She wanted to talk to Matt Grider. He said he just didn't have time for all of that, but he said she's a good looking white woman. <laughs> Get that in. But either anywho, um, that book is substantially longer than this book. This is kind of a short, he's a journalist, so right to the point, boom, 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 right through all of the events. That book, we're only in like September. We've read, I think, the first five and a half chapters. We're only through the first four murders. We haven't even got to the murders of these cab drivers and the extraction of their hearts. That's why it's mandatory, because it seems like that one is a much more comprehensive, slower telling of all of this. This book has a lot of detail, Joey 22, but that one is substantially longer. So we'll have to see what all she covers. But I mean, and people don't know this quickly. They said within 10 years, there was an amnesia about this event where a lot of people seem not to know now 40 years on and you have a white terrorist attack at an East Buffalo tops. And even then, no mention. He said he has not been besieged. Oh my God, this happened before. Jeez, you got to come on here and explain. Like, I, nope. Maybe it's not relevant, although East Buffalo tops, white supremacists, in fact, forget that. It is super relevant. And again, that's just journalism. Hurricane Katrina happened in 2005. Most quality media outlets discussed the history of floods in New Orleans and the Gulf region at large. When there have been other serial killer attacks, they go through the whole history of serial killers and all of that. You have a white terrorist attack, same area. And they had at the time of this, all of the events around this that I heard, he was talking about they had a white supremacist, multiple white supremacist rallies in Buffalo. One of them on Dr. King's holiday in 1981, January 15. The black choir attacked on the highway, almost ran off the road. The coon hunting licenses being distributed in the air. None of that is even brought up when they have all of those tacky dialogues about oh legacy of racism in Buffalo Ooh, I don't even think people think of New York as a bastion of racism that has a legacy of white supremacist attacks I don't even think of people think that way about New York State any any of New York not in this even the reports I was at the library yesterday preparing for the program and preparing for the book club, researching all of this. Wow. There is a report I read in his epilogue. He talks about Mr. Dobson, who's a black male. He said he wrote his fictional account of these 1980 murders of black males because no one talked about this. Nobody knew. He said he would check different projects on serial killers and they would, oh, David Berkowitz, Son of Sam, Jeffrey Dahmer, and all that, Ted Bundy, the Green River Killer here in Seattle. They mentioned all these folks, but nothing about Joseph Christopher. How is that white supremacy, racism, and really black male privilege?
But that's why this is so, so important. And again, black people fighting back because we just talked about that. Jackie Robinson and all of that. There were lots of black people. They were black. One of the black victims, attempted victims through Joseph Christopher down the stairs. <laughs> like there are tons of examples of black self-respect within this entire uh, narrative and the black people who banded together, as he said, who were doing the thing in the car so they could see if they could try and dupe him and to come in and try and attack someone. And then they can bam, catch him black people who got guns and all the rest of it. Like there was tons of black self-respect and black people saying, nah, we're not just going to be lame, cowardly victims to the kind both in Buffalo and Atlanta. Make sure I give another a quick acknowledgement and then we'll check in with victims. Uh, again, I believe that was our guest, Matt Greider, who may have been interrupting uh, Gusty when I was speaking, not the victims. I threw everybody who dialed in off the line uh, once that happened. Victims, Matt Greider, I threw him off and I would never have done that. Normally, if it's a guest, if they stay on, after they departed, as long as they're not being loud and interrupting and what have you, I'll let them hang out. But I mean, hey, it should. you said you were leaving. If you're staying, that's fine. You should not be interrupting or being loud. Mutual line, <laughs> be talking over. Oh, I absolutely hate all of that interrupting. I even hate that that is kind of a part of black culture. Uh, it's a real church. When uh, having a dialogue and someone makes a point or what have you that, you know, is exciting or for whatever reason, reason it resonates with you. And we got to jump up and add that. Yes, that's right, sister. And rah, 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 and all that. And sometimes they got to take over and talk all over top of you. Uh, Minister Malcolm X has done lectures and talks where he stops all of that immediately. Uh, where he's, you know, saying whatever he's saying. And we got to do something about these white devils and rah, rah, rah. and they will get on the that's right brother and he's like hey the crowd will have to be quiet for me to continue like that is the way to proceed if it is serious attempted counter racist science it should not be talking over and all of that it should be orderly you say whatever you're going to say mm-hmm. orderly say whatever you're going to say you do certainly does not need to be consensus but orderly not interrupting. I think that's just the part of white supremacy racism. We have a lot of our white guests where they do a lot of that interrupting too where, you know, it's just some nigger, you know, who's he? <laughs> Gus Coon guy. We don't have to listen to him. I think that is a huge component of white supremacy racism. So working against that, try our best. No interrupting at minimum. That really plucks Gus T's nerves. Uh, any of the folks that Gus T booted from the line, if you have commentary thoughts on what you heard from Matt Greider. The number is 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. I would say today's program, if anything, represents, man, why it is white guests only. No exceptions and forever uh, but one of the reasons that makes that difficult, frequently it will be individuals classified as white who have this sort of information. This has happened before. This should be discussed in the context of Peyton Gendron, Buffalo, really white gun violence in total, Texas or otherwise. They're classified as white. 
you have to think about what that means what does it mean to be white at the very beginning with the definition of racism many times what they say that metaphor like pulling teeth to get information can't answer the question deviating other things when he was talking about Glenn Dunn and he pivoted to him being a car thief and all this he didn't look like a child he's huge you know he's got these big muscles he looked like Hulk Hogan didn't we hear that about Michael Brown Jr. now at least he was 18 I guess by law I mean that's you know you're a man not the man Glenn Dunn is 14 I've worked at a school I've seen many many 14 year olds I was 14 I was a large 14 year old myself I have never seen a 14 year old well I would look at it hmm and I mean hey I don't know when Glenn Dunn's birthday is I have to double check to see when he was born but I mean hey are we talking about somebody who had like a later birthday or like he just turned 14 who was like 13 not long ago I have never seen anyone at 14 where they look like a man that's the sort of thing it can be difficult I know sometimes even for listeners where they're like man it's difficult this writer dude doesn't he's not all silver tongue and all that mm-hmm I haven't really talked to any black people who have any expertise about Joseph Christopher or this time period. Mr. Greider, bad memory and all, he does, and he wrote a book about that, so you can help jog his memory. Therein lies the challenge frequently. They might be, they will be practicing racism, white supremacy. In between, they do have some accurate information. Therein lies the challenge. Star 6-1 folks have commentary anything that stood out they would like to share O.J. Simpson could have asked him about that as well if he thought O.J. was guilty or not anywho uh, the folks that are with us if you have commentary proceed Uh, greetings guys Uh, this broadcast was was, um, fascinating Uh, I think it was an excellent display of um, white culture um Joey, he was, um, he displayed a lot of what it means to be white, I suspect, what, what the Yoruba is. He spent a lot of his existence in, um, in conflict, it seems, and then during that conflict, what was he doing? He was uh, attacking genitalia, he was sucking male genitalia, and he was attacking dark, dark people. So, um, very fascinating. Thank you for the broadcast, and I'll meet my line. Reading more important than watching television. Any of the folks who have seen the FBI files video that is available on YouTube on this case, I have not watched it. And I mean, real talk, it will have to depend. Like, depending on what you all say, I might not watch it. Normally, you know, I would at least take time to watch the video. But I mean, real talk is anything for the people who've seen that video in that video about the fellatio on the guards and the theory of Mr. Baden that this was some sort of racist homosexual fetish with black males and all the rest is all that in there the climate the clan march what they did at the funeral like all that would have to be included 
in the documentary. Like if they just give some quick run through, these are the victims, boom, 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 this happened, boom, boom, then he was connected, saying, boom, boom, and the end, because it's only 40 minutes. Yeah. Reading is way more important than watching television. No contest. Other folks? Yes. Uh, I, uh, the two questions that I asked the, the, uh, the guests, uh, the first, the first question, uh, I, I understand that he is, uh, uh, not a, not something that he probably would have said. I, I'm not an authority on, on making suggestions, suggestions to children. Uh, but as a journalist, uh, he comes across a lot of information and specifically, uh, these particular type cases where white people are harming non-white people in the past and in the present that just as a, I think he said 75 year old white male, he certainly should have, uh, some suggestions, uh, on, uh, how to, uh, lower the percentages of non-white black people being harmed. But nevertheless, I, I wasn't expecting any, any, uh, anything more than what he actually did. But even so with the Vietnam question, now I'm like, you know, he, he, I don't know if he did any combat, anything like that, but as a journalist, I think he said, correct me if I'm wrong. He said he was a journalist in Vietnam and I and I'm I'm thinking he was a part of the military, not not one of the, not a, a journalist like for ABC or something like that, but in the military. And you, when you go to Vietnam, do a tour in Vietnam, you were there for nine months. Out of that out of that uh, that total year, you're at least there for nine to ten months. And I worked with a lot of people that was his age or older that went to Vietnam and they had all kinds of stories about racism, white and non-white. And he couldn't come up with not one. (laughs) You know, I, I find that, I find that probably him not telling the truth. He just didn't want to bring that up uh, in the program perhaps. And that's all I have to say. Thank you. Much obliged, retired firefighter in Florida. Very logical. I don't know where he would be stationed as a combat journalist or whom he was around or even because he said he had black homies like, wow, these must have been the most special black people ever at that time period. If they had no trouble with racism, white supremacy, I don't know if they were also journalists or if they were, you know, troops or how they were serving, but that they should be worthy of interview like right now write a book what were you doing how was your experience like what white people were you hanging around like that is uh yeah (laughs) good good for suspicion other folks that we missed totally 
have any thoughts. Grand. Uh, just <laughs> Catherine Pellinero's book. Uh, we haven't even got to the part where they begin, where he begins cutting out the hearts of black males and these uh, other uh, attacks. Uh, the comment, I don't know how he deviated from how do you have any tips that black people can use to protect themselves from the Peyton Gendron's and Joseph Christopher's of the world. He deviated from that to, you know, this all goes back to old LBJ, which is like, now you're talking 60 years ago. This all goes back then. And his uh, program, social programs, just paying Negro women, he didn't say Negro women, but you know, uh, to have all these babies and then they'll pay. I mean, that's that's when all this crime, that's when you got all the, the criminal element in the Negro family. Man, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the Negro family, the case for national action. That is tired and old, like, wow. And even because he prefaced it by saying, oh, I don't know. That's getting political. Like he said that in the response, like, what? We asked, like, what can be done to keep us safe from white assassin, white racist assassins? And we're talking about no count welfare queens? Like, what? What? <laughs> That's why I said it can be very challenging to extract man. We need to get this information on him getting these hearts out and he lost his gun and blamed it on the males. That white genetic analysis is exactly what Dr. Welsing said. Blah, blah, blah. And he's taking the hearts out. Did he eat the hearts? Who knows? All of this, he's performing fellatio for extra food? What? He kills this black guy because he thinks he called him. All this is important, but man. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, the Negro family, the case for national action long long I mean like five year old bread stale metaphor racist trope pregnancy the sexual component there too sex crazy gotta be birthing you know more nigger babies all the time um incidentally I did play that segment from Death Wish Charles Bronson uh, that is mentioned in Catherine Pellinero's book specifically uh, where it was hinted and he even says in his book that there was a theory that the person doing this was trying to avenge some sort of sexual crime ostensibly by a black male against a family member that's the whole theme of Death Wish you have bands of rapists generally with black males super and I mean out of this some of the most graphic uh, it's it's this is pornography. This is not software. This is like straight triple X pornography rape scenes. The most graphic rape scenes that I've ever seen in film, and the great Lawrence Fishburne, like blackish Lawrence Fishburne, Matrix Lawrence Fishburne, is a black male rapist in Death Wish Two gang rape in fact this and they made like 50 of these like I said they remade it but over and over and over this is being played This people were saying maybe the killer watched this I thought maybe he did he would have had to see even when I played the sound clip right 
at first, man, oh, that doesn't sound like anything. I want. He said, the gun is the penis. Maybe one of those folks he's talking to Charles Bronson before he starts killing folks. Lots of black males. He says, uh, maybe you're one of those uh, liberals. You know, you don't. You you think the gun is an extension of our penis, and that's why we're doing. It. He says, maybe it's true. And then even the white guy says, well, maybe that is true. And then they get the. Greta said, I don't know what that is. That doesn't sound like something I watched. Then as soon as I said, oh, that's old Charles Bronson. Oh yeah. <laughs> They made a billion of them. How would you miss it? And it's set in New York City. That's your state? Of course you saw it. Probably saw five or six of them. White, because that right there, white culture. And that right there, he said about the the murders in Texas and all the gun violence. Charles Braun, we celebrate this. I'm mad, so I'm going to get a gun and go out and kill, generally, some black people. And they they have scenes, same thing that I read with the police department. They said at police precincts in Buffalo and Greta said he remembered this. Black officers said that they had uh, they would see pictures of the suspected killer of all these black males up. My hero. These are the police officers in Buffalo. My this is what I mean about and people don't remember this. All the stuff that was around this, they went and terrorized the family at Glenn Dunn. 14 year old Glenn Dunn's if you go terrorize the family and bystanders at the funeral and people don't remember this. Whew, man, but uh, the only other quick thing I'll say with Death Wish, I might even have to make a sound clip because it is amazing. It's the same thing with Joseph, Joseph Christopher, where I brought up where multiple white witnesses either willfully, directly, indirectly, however, they aided and abetted this white terrorist killer of black males. Madonna Gorney, white woman, she forgot to mention that, oh yeah, that was that dopey looking white kid who was there. And that was the one where I read it to him where she said, in fact, she saw him and felt comfortable because at least there's a white face. I felt a little unsafe with all these niggers around, nigger raping males. Maybe she just saw Death Wish too. No count raping Larry Fishburne. Multiple. And that's in, like I said, that's in Death Wish repeatedly. Even police officers, they become aware Charles Bronson is out here killing folks, mostly black males. "Eh." Eh." They have one scene, I think it's in Death Wish 3, he kills a black male, shoots him in the back. I mean, this stuff is so if you did it you'd be going to jail right now he, uh, someone runs up behind him and steals his camera and runs off and he shoots him in the black black male shoots him in the back a crowd of non-white people cheer him on they have a scene I took a screenshot of it they have a scene Charles Bronson kills two black males gets away with it he goes home he's watching TV and drinking a dark liqueur he's listening to reports about his vigilante acts and they don't have a suspect and blah 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 and the people that he killed have long criminal records they're nigger males of course just like Glenn Dunn same thing that we heard all these black males that get killed but eh, they stole a car and all this and they're drug users and prostitutes eh. Eh. as he's sipping his scotch uh, Charles Bronson 
he puts a magazine down and the front cover of the magazine is about the lynching or excuse me about the uh, vigilanteism and it's got a picture of a noose over a stoplight and they pivot from that scene to a party of white people talking about the vigilante killings and saying that in order to create so-called racial equality in muggings because mostly muggers are black people they would have to make more white muggers and everybody thinks this is so funny and Charles Bronson is at this party having a good chuckle hiding in plain sight same thing they said about Joey Christopher hiding in plain sight but that's all of this is white culture Joe, Joey Christopher I got my love of guns with my dad we go out and hunt carve up a buck that's what he said his dad died lose my guns I'm been castrated go out and kill some nigger males incidentally he did get accepted into the army they have been talking about so called extremism in the armed services haven't they had tons of reports about that in fact they've said that some race soldiers they go to the army to get more training so that they can become more adept killing niggers practicing white supremacy racism college drop up link college dropout link as well I'll take that with Mark Furman and uh, Joseph Christopher anywho as I said the book club will be here on Thursday 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific uh, Catherine Pelinero's book absolute madness we have only read two sections so we'll be able to go over all of this in greater detail this should be mandatory you're a cow's listener you live in New York like oh yeah you should know about all of this especially they're sitting around with the odd I'm going to try to get as many white people Buffalo Western New York as possible they got the audacity to say that they want to talk about the legacy of racism in Buffalo well let's start right here book club Thursday 8 p.m. Eastern 5 p.m. Pacific uh, any last comments folks need to get in are they satisfied grand uh, with this is all of this sexual fetishization of black males this is not just a, a snicker or anything if anything you should rethink why do we keep bringing up rethinking Rufus rape of black males and how that doesn't get discussed rape of black males and boys this is very common in the system of white supremacy Ed Buck Donald Sterling remember we talked about that with Gerald Horn Dr. Gerald Horn, he was talking about Howard Cosell, white men in the world of boxing, professional sports. I'm just here to see if I can sexually proposition a black male, Larry Holmes, one of these black male uh, heavyweight champions, big brutish black males, physiques, mm, proposition them sexually. Dr. Gerald Horn, in that context, he said that it was a white high school coach who was doing the same thing for black boys. this seems to be a key aspect of white culture has been for some time studying white supremacy racism what it is how it works in Ed Buck didn't that just happen white guy in California drugging these black males <laughs> black males 
they have some sort of criminal record and all the rest of it just like what we heard Colin Cole some of these victims same thing they just keep doing the same thing we either forget don't study racism white supremacy we're confused terrorized either way victims Jeffrey Dahmer most of his victims were non-white lots of black males they even theorized that was like Joseph Christopher why he got away with this for so long he's white hide in plain sight victims are negras with that hope folks had a safe constructive so called holiday white supremacy racism does not take holidays invest if you think the cows is constructive listener supported counter racist radio hit the blog racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com racism hyphen notes dot blogspot dot com paypal button is in the top right corner uh, you'll also see the links for cash app venmo and even paypal we're also on amazon.com under gus t renegade much obliged for all the folks who have supported us for 13 plus years hope we have been worthy of your time and energy that said sobriety would be best you do not want to be intoxicated with peyton gendron Joseph G. Christopher on the loose. We need to be alert, focused, paying attention to try to stay as safe as we can. Mr. Greider said, call the authorities if you see something suspicious. Hmm. If you're in a vehicle, you are sober, buckled up, not on your mobile phone. We need all of our attention and we're trying to do the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers badge or no that's it creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately cows signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim your brother problem. you're a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.